I love a rainy night, 1980 by Eddie Rabbit. And, you know, people would love a rainy night right now, especially around Las Vegas where it's getting quite hot. And that's a sign the World Series is coming. And whenever I'm in Vegas and I feel hot weather, it reminds me of the World Series and it makes me think that it's coming. It makes me think that it's time. And it definitely is time tomorrow. The World Series of Poker 2013 kicks off. I will be playing my first event... In four days, June 1st, the Millionaire Maker event, the new event for uh, 2013. Well, kind of a new event. It's 1500 no limit, but it's uh, what's called the Millionaire Maker. We'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later in the show. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis, and this is the Druff and Friends Show. The Druff and Friends Show is me and whoever else I feel like having as a co-host. We have a rotating group of co-hosts. Some people we have on here often as co-hosts, such as China Maniac, and others come on for the first time. And tonight we're going to have a first-time co-host, someone that uh, 
A lot of you don't know very well, but he volunteered, and he's been a, a quiet member of the forum for several years. Uh, I know he followed the UB scandal pretty closely as it went down and provided some good information regarding that out to the forum. So, um, you know, this is someone who is a longtime forum member and had volunteered. It's actually a guy in another country. So we're going to have a non-American co-host tonight for the first time ever on this show, and I'll introduce him shortly. So anyway, uh, I'm going to give you the rundown of what we're going to do tonight. But uh, before I do that, I want to remind everybody we do have a free roll tonight. Last I checked, it was $36. Uh, I was busy over the last like hour and a half, so I haven't been able to check if anyone donated anything further. But the last I checked, it was $36. And that will be $15 for first, $10 for second, $6 for third, $5 for fourth. And this will take place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that at the top of PokerFraudAlert.com. It's completely free. You don't even need play chips to play it. You just sign up an account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room and you can play. However, to qualify for the free money, you need to either have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated January 1st, 2013 or before, or send me a message to dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, or PM me, Dan Space Druff, on Poker Fraud Alert's forum. And if I decide you will qualify for a one-time exception, then that exception is good for life meaning that uh, you have to convince me you've been around. You have to convince me you've listened to the show at least for a few weeks or been reading the forum for quite some time. Otherwise, I'll tell you you have to wait. And if you're still around a few weeks from now, then I'll give you the exception at that point. Uh, Once I give you an exception, it's good for life. You don't have to keep asking me if you qualify for the free money once I've told you that you have qualified for it. But you do have to get this exception before the free roll starts, or otherwise you'll have to wait till next week, even if you win. So, uh... Tonight's show, I don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, I am in a secret location. I hope the internet here is reliable. I'm in a place where I haven't broadcasted from in a long time. I have broadcasted from here before, but not very frequently. And I hope it works out. Uh, if, if the show cuts out or whatever, then uh, I apologize. Just hang tight and I'll come back on. But uh, so far, so good. It's here. And it's working. So, uh, anyway, let me get my co-host on. And by the way, the free roll starts at 7.40 tonight. And uh, let me quickly run down the list of the people who donated money for the free roll. Because our free rolls are sponsored by the users. The users donate money for the free rolls to be won by other users. That's how generous our community is. This money never comes from me. It always comes from our users. And PokerFraudAlerts.com has given away more money in our free rolls than any poker podcast over the past year. And this is all thanks to our users. Tonight, the $36 came from $6, Real Chaser 74 $5, Mr. Green Thumb, $9 from One Marley One, $5 from Dr. Peters, $10 from Nutty007, and a dollar. Yes, a dollar from Shiz Money. So thank you to everybody, even Shiz Money for the dollar. I appreciate everything that is donated to this free roll. And uh, I'm very happy to see when people do that and uh, when they want to give back to the community that we're all part of. Uh, so much taking people do from the community. So much stealing. It's nice to see people are doing generous things for others in the poker community, and specifically the poker community surrounding this site. So thank you. Anyway, uh, let me quickly tell you about the free roll, though. It is 7.40 tonight, as usual. 7.40 Pacific Time, starting in 20 minutes. There is no late registration, and most importantly, it's not No Limit Hold'em tonight. It's not even Hold'em! It's Omaha 8. 
So if you're not a good Omaha player, this is your chance to learn and maybe get lucky. So it's an 08 tournament tonight, and uh, I do that every once in a while to change it up. I'll have a limit hold'em in there, I'll have 08, I'll PLO, because people get bored of no limit, and there's no reason we have to have no limit every week, so this week it's 08. And if you don't like it, wait till next week. So that starts at 740, make sure to get in there and registered. Let me try to connect on our co-host tonight, I'll introduce him once he's on, if we can reach him. Knowing this show, I probably won't be able to reach him. Oh, I reached him. Uh, so, hello, co-host. Hello there. You're... Oh, I... Right. Well, it sounded good in first. Now I'm hearing... It sounds like a lot of crumpling going on. Are you crumpling paper in the background? No, I was just moving about in my bed. Okay. Is that better? So, yeah, it's better. So, uh, tonight we have Colonel Nigel Fabersham. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we have Nutty007. Uh, as I said, kind of like an infrequent poster on these forums, but he's been around a while, and... Uh, he volunteered a few weeks ago if I ever need a co-host to get a hold of him, and we were PMing over something else today, actually about the $10 that he donated to the free roll tonight, which I appreciate. And after he donated the money to the free roll, I said, hey, you know, I want to take you up on co-hosting the show. And he said, sure. So I'll be honest, I've never spoken to this guy in my life. This is the first time I've ever heard his voice. Uh, I've seen him on the forum for quite some time. And I said, hey, what the hell, I'll take a flop and... Uh, Hope it works out. So welcome to Poker Fraud Alert as the uh, co-host of the week. Thank you very much, Todd, and welcome um, Poker Fraud Alert. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, glad to have you here. And uh, so we are, yeah, this is being done to pacify the people who think this show is too American-centric. If, if, you, uh, if, if you want to well, get, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. If I come on it, add a little bit of a UK touch to everything. Yeah, so where, and, in, the UK, um, where in the UK do you live? Uh, South London. South London, okay. So it is very similar to Colonel Fabersham. Now, what do you think of the Colonel Nigel Fabersham character? I think you pull him off pretty good. Okay, yeah, that's, that's good. Right. All right, I'm glad you enjoy him. So uh, you know, that means most coming from you. So anyway... Yeah, uh, well, yeah you've, you've, you've got the, um, the the typical sort of stereotypical English accent down to the T, I think. <laughs> Thank you. You know, um, Bad Guy 23 isn't very happy about you being the co-host. He said, I'd rather slit my wrist unless you have a translator. So I guess he doesn't understand you. But that's okay. Well, well that's a shame because I always look forward to the bad guy um, call at the end of the night. But there you go. Well, maybe you'll win him over, though. You know, A lot of times Bad Guy has instant dislike for people, and then eventually he comes around to like them. So I think there's a, there's a chance that uh, by the end of the show, Bad Guy will appreciate you. So he, here's yeah. the agenda tonight. And... Uh, you know, by the way, when we're talking about these subjects, uh, you can feel free to jump right in. So don't feel free to do that. What are you doing? That makes a lot of noise in the background. Oh, I'm not doing nothing now. Okay. That's, that's the only thing I don't want is, is noise in the back, whatever you're doing there. But uh, what you can feel free to do is jump in any time and any topic I'm talking about. Don't just let me ramble for like 15 minutes straight. Uh, you know, feel free, any of these topics that you have an opinion on, uh, to jump in with your two cents. Don't feel bad about interrupting me. Because uh, you know you're the co-host tonight, and uh, um, I think people like hearing okay. differing viewpoints. And uh, even if we have the same viewpoint, just hearing from two different people. So uh, anyway, here's the agenda for tonight. Last week, we were following live as Chino Reem was the chip leader, and Eric Lindgren went from the almost bubble boy to second in chips in the World Poker Tour Bellagio, which had. A first prize of over 
$1.1 million. $1.1 million, and Chino Ream went on to win it. And Eric Lindgren went on to finish second. I forget the exact amount he received, but something around half of $1.1 million. So, wow, the two guys in that whole field that were known to be the scummiest as far as owing people money finished one and two. And the funny thing is, one and two was appropriate because Chino Ream was probably the scummiest as far as uh, borrowing money that he really didn't have the ability to pay back and misrepresenting his ability to pay back when he borrowed the money. And, and Eric Lindgren was probably second worst. I don't know who's worst, but I think Chino was the worst of the two. So they finished first and second. And, of course, then everybody says, well, what now? So we'll talk about what happened here, and we'll even talk about whether they should have been playing in the first place or if these guys should just be out of poker. If, if uh, they don't really deserve to be part of the community anymore, or do they? Or is this a good thing that they get staked in these tournaments and then maybe can pay off the money? So we'll, we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about uh, all the issues surrounding it. And I'll play some sound clips of Chino Ream talking about his victory, and I'll comment on those. And, of course, Nutty, he, he can chime in as well. Yeah, World's... we'll do. We'll do. I've got a lot to say about that, actually, because... Um... I'd be interested to know how much they actually took of themselves. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure of that either. Maybe someone in the chat room could tell us if they know. The World Series of Poker starts tomorrow, as I already mentioned. Uh, By the way, uh, someone in the chat apparently wants to donate money for the free roll, and if you want to donate, I will still uh, add it to the prize pool. I'll just uh, adjust the prize pool after I receive it, even if it's after the show's over. Uh, If you want to send money to me at any time for any reason, the the... PayPal email address is dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com all lowercase and the only thing I ask of you what is that? uh oh wow that was loud was that an airplane? now are you there? yeah yeah I'm listening I'm not doing nothing what, what was that though? there's something very loud in the background no, nothing here at all. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that nothing. It wasn't on <laughs> no, my end. I, I know no airplane flew over my secret location. No, definitely no airplane. Okay. Let me just turn the speaker down. I, I, maybe it was the toilet. The only thing I've got going on in here is a guinea pig in the background. I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe it was a toilet. I think somebody had to go to the bathroom during the show. <laughs> okay, that, well, I, I, I hope if it's a toilet that uh, that was the only flesh we'll be hearing. So uh, I wouldn't do that to you. I, I well, something happened. Okay, so uh, anyway, what what the hell were you even talking about? Oh yeah, if you want to if you want to uh, donate to the the free roll, or send me money for any reason, if you want me to escrow something, you want to send me money for whatever, dandruff at pokerfraudalert dot com on PayPal. Only thing I ask is don't put in the description anything about poker. Uh, because you know, technically, PayPal is not supposed to be used for gambling, and you know we're not going to be gambling. But uh, you know, we don't we don't want them to uh, misconstrue what's going on. So just uh, put it in some way that PayPal won't find objectionable. Dandruff at PokerFraudAlert.com. Uh, anyway, uh, getting back to the agenda, we'll talk about the World Series tonight. Uh, I have some comments about the upcoming Millionaire Maker event that I will be playing, and how I think it's going to go off. I think there's going to be a lot of problems, but. Uh, I'm throwing caution to the wind and playing in it anyway. I will tell you what problems I foresee, and we'll see if it comes true. A 2 plus 2 poster claims to have a co-worker who worked for AP and UB around 2008. And he 
asked this coworker a bunch of questions, and this person answered. It was supposedly like some kind of customer service rep who somehow knew more than you'd expect a customer service rep to know. It's possible that this guy was making it all up, but it seems pretty legitimate. It seems like, uh, from what I know about some things, some things which I've never even discussed publicly, I believe the guy's telling the truth. I can't be sure, but I think there's a good chance the guy who's posting this is not making all this up and really does have a co-worker who worked at UB circa 2008 and gave some good information. So I will... Uh, Discuss that information and tell you what I believe, don't believe, and partially believe. And uh, Nutty, I know you've followed the UB situation pretty much yourself, so uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I'll be happy to hear your opinion on these things as well. Yep, good. Uh, Gank, Brett Youngblood, also known as, uh, well, not really, he's known as Gank, but he's also a former member of the crew, including Dutch Boyd and Scott Fishman, Joe Bartholdi. Like most of the crew... Brett Youngblood has not been doing that well recently financially. And he's been a locked pro for a while and probably needs the money. Well, after publicly trashing me last week on another site, he was in another site's chat room. When I say another site, I mean he wasn't on lock poker. He was in another online poker room and trashing me on that site for going after lock the way I have. Days after trashing me publicly... He's had a change of heart, and while he hasn't apologized to me, he has quit as a lock pro and has cited the ongoing problems they have as the reason. So unlike the other pros who quit and said, you know, thank you, lock, for the opportunity and didn't mention a thing about the scandals, he actually quit and cited that the scandals are what's driving him away. He was polite about it, but uh, that's definitely why he left. So we'll talk about that some. The iPoker Network which uh, is not a U.S.-facing network, is clamping down on Americans who are playing there anyway. There were some affiliates, such as um, iPoker VIP or Poker VIP, that were arranging for people to play on iPoker, despite the fact that they were in the U.S. So iPoker is clamping down on this, and we'll talk about what's going on and uh, why iPoker VIP is in hot water. Mike Caro, remember him, the, uh, the the mad genius of poker? The face of a very early online poker room, Planet Poker. He was the uh, kind of like the site pro of Planet Poker before any of these rooms really had site pros. Anyway, Mike Caro claims he has determined there is widespread cheating and collusion in online poker. Now, we know there's been cheating and collusion in online poker, and he's talking about cheating and collusion uh, by the players not by, uh, he's not talking about like super using type things, he's talking about uh, the players cheating and uh, you know, of course this occurs I'm not shocked that this is uh, said to occur, and we all remember that stock trader scandal where he and his friend uh, Connecticut, aka Rob Papp, were allegedly cheating and uh, soft playing and colluding, and I believe they were from the data that I examined but uh, Mike Harrow claims that this is widespread. It's not just like an isolated incident like what happened with Stocks Trader. And that uh, he has analyzed data and he has found ways to detect collusion, even light hearted detect collusion. I'll read what he had to say about that and I'll give you my commentary on whether I agree with him. But he really hasn't had much to say about online poker in 
many, many years. It's kind of surprising he comes out now. I'll talk a little bit about my not-so-excellent adventure in Laughlin, Nevada. A lot of you don't know what Laughlin, Nevada is. You know Las Vegas, Nevada, of course, but Laughlin, Nevada? What the hell is that? Laughlin, Nevada is like uh, Las Vegas's retarded stepbrother. It's uh, 90 miles to the south of Las Vegas. It is in Nevada. And uh, it's kind of like old-school Vegas without the old-school Vegas charm. Despite that, I spent a weekend there over Memorial Day. I'll explain why I went and what my impressions are of Laughlin and uh, why anyone should go to Laughlin and why you also shouldn't. Finally, and of course we may have other things that come up during the show, you never know. For those of you coming from L.A. to the World Series, and I know there's a lot of you, a lot of people who listen to this show are from the L.A. area or somewhere in Southern California, you will be driving to Vegas most likely and not flying. I will give my tips from my many, many years of experience driving to Las Vegas from the L.A. area. I have done the L.A. Vegas drive as a driver since, uh, yeah, pretty much since I was 21, for me, about 20 years. And as a passenger, going back like another 20 years before that. So I'm very, very, very familiar with that drive. I think very few people know that drive better than me. And I'll give you some tips, some expert pro tips on driving to Las Vegas from L.A. or vice versa. And how to avoid things like traffic, how to get around jams, how to get there faster. A bunch of stuff like that. I won't spend too long on it since we have a lot of people here that uh, are not from L.A. and don't give a crap about it. But I'll put that at the end of the show. And of course, if anybody wants to call in, phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Make sure to show your caller ID. If you don't know how to do that, just dial star 82 before calling, and that should do it. Like star 82-775-372-8355 will tend to work on a cell phone. And if you want to call the Mount Charleston line, if you don't like that 775 number, if you want to call a 702 number and feel like you're calling Las Vegas, you really won't be. You'll be calling Mount Charleston. It's an old 70s rotary phone I have sitting on top of the mountain at Mount Charleston, but it forwards over to wherever I am whatever secret location I'm currently broadcasting from, I will get the call 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. And if you check out the domains I have registered, including Poker Fraudler, all the domains I own, they all have that Mount Charleston phone number listed as my phone number. Publicly listed. I don't do that uh, domains by proxy crap. I list my name that I owe the do- own the domains. I have a P.O. box. And I have the Mount Charleston number as my phone number. So, free roll starts in five minutes. Get in there. If you don't get in there by 7 and 40, it will shut you out. You can't come in late. Tom, oh. just to butt in. Yes. Um, just been reading the chat, so i just answer a few questions. <laughs> um, bad guy. No, I'm not homeless. Um, but I do live in a flat. And I'm about 10 miles away from Woolwich. For those of you who've watched or seen about the guy who's got been beheaded about 10 miles away from where I live. All right. And, and uh, it's about half past three in the morning here. Half past three in the morning, or as you say, off past three in the morning. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah. No, no, I, I appreciate this. He's coming on here in the middle of the night. I mean, this is not easy. I Even I, I stay up late, but I would not want to start a radio show at 3.30 in the morning. It's very tough, unless you've been waking up at like 6 p.m., it's very tough to start a radio show at 3.30, and it's it's easy to take that for granted. I mean, even our East Coast U.S. people, it's 10.30 there right now. 
So I appreciate the people who listen live And this show is starting after 10 for them But here the Europeans have to listen to this Live in the middle of the night And he is actually broadcasting live In the middle of the night So that's uh, that's great I appreciate that So uh, let me start off with the first topic And that is Chino Ream And Eric Lindgren Finishing first and second In the World Poker Tour Bellagio 1.1 million for Chino Ream I don't have the exact figure for Lindgren But it doesn't really matter Something like half of that I don't know how much they got to keep for themselves. You have to understand that even though Chino won a few small tournaments before this, they had to put up 25k to enter this damn event. So they're not putting that up themselves. I, I severely doubt that they're putting this up themselves. These guys, I'm sure, were backed. And, of course, when a backer puts them in, the backer has to be very careful that if they win that the backer gets whatever is agreed upon and that it won't go to people that they owe money to. And that's fair, because if the backer puts them in, it, it would be a uh, an automatic loss for the backer if you know, where if they were to win anything, it goes to the people they owe the money. And it, it's really strange. Like, back when I was more naive about the poker community, I would see someone win $1.1 million dollars I'd hear they owe people, you know, $800,000 collectively. And I'll say, okay, good. They should give 800000 to the people they owe, keep 300000 for themselves, and they're all square. And if they don't do that, they're a scumbag. Well, I didn't realize back then that a lot of these people who enter these high buy-in tournaments are backed. And that you can't just say, screw the backer, I'm going to pay the people I owed first, because the backer's the one who's enabling you to make this money, and he wouldn't put you in if he wasn't guaranteed that he gets a certain percentage of, you know, of how he puts you in. Now, of course, then this brings up the ethics of why should the backer have priority over everyone else? Because, you know, in a sense, they're kind of borrowing from the backer, except they wouldn't have to pay the backer back if they lost. But why should the backer's debt, why should their debt to the backer be any more important than the people whose debts predate the backer? If you have a debt from Chino, if Chino's owed you money for five years, why should the backer get the money first when he just made this agreement with Chino, you know, two weeks ago? But, but the truth is that um, that's the way it works. That people only back these guys with the ironclad guarantee from them that they will pay whatever percentage they agree to pay from what they cash. And believe me, for guys like Chino, the backer is right there with him at the cashier window and takes their part. So uh, Chino can't go either use it to pay back people that he owes or degen it off in video poker or craps or whatever the hell he plays. So... Uh, I don't know how much Chino got to keep. I will say that both Chino and Lindgren are good poker players. And in a No Limit Hold'em tournament, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind backing either of them if I knew I would really get the money. I'm not saying I would or I'm offering to, but I'm saying it's not that bad of a deal for the backer if he really gets his money because these are both good, experienced players with a proven track record of success in tournament poker. So there's no question that these guys are good players. What they're not good with is money management and ethics. So here here Lindgren has owed people a lot of money and what if you don't remember what happened with Lindgren. Uh oh. Is that the airplane again? Boo Ladies and gentlemen, please return to your seat. We are getting some turbulence here on the radio show. Is that coming from me again? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's 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 whisper quiet where I am. 
I think you need to go to a, a, a quieter room in the, in the residential neighborhood there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to try and keep still. And okay. If it don't work, I'll hang up and stuff, but I okay. think I've got it sorted. Okay, so... This wasn't as loud as the previous time But but anyway, the, the history with Eric Lindgren I won't go into this a long time Because I know most of you already know But uh, Eric Lindgren was getting $250,000 a month From Full Tilt Just for doing nothing Just for sitting on his ass And uh, when Black Friday occurred That was the end of that And Lindgren, what he would do Is he would just bet the two fifty k in advance He was such a degenerate He you know He bet on sports Like Absolute crazy He backed people himself like crazy Like he, he had such a large stable of horses That played these tournaments And a lot of them didn't win uh, Huge degenerate sports better as I mentioned Just whatever there was to gamble on Eric Lindgren bet on it And often without money He didn't have And he got millions of dollars in debt He owed a million plus To one person Haralabov Volgaris and he owed many, many more people. He owed millions of dollars. And he figured, well, I still have 250 k a month coming in. And at some point I'll get hot again and win a big tournament. And then I'll pay everyone off. Like He was optimistically thinking that he will pay everyone off. I, I believe Lindgren was not a scammer. Except in that he wasn't being honest with people when he would make bets with them. Or, uh, or play fantasy uh, football with them or whatever for high stakes. That he couldn't really pay at the moment. But I believe in his mind he really felt that it would all work out in the long run and everyone would get paid. Not even the long run, kind of like the short, the short run, or the short long run. But of course then uh, the 250k a month gravy train got derailed and that was the end of that. And then it all uh, came crashing down from there. And all of a sudden Eric Lindgren no longer had that free money rolling in. He no longer had uh, yeah, basically $3 million a year coming in for doing nothing. And he owed millions of dollars to people. And that's where he is right now. He even went into rehab for his gambling addiction. Chino Reem. His was a little bit more sinister than uh, Eric Lindgren. Chino Reem just would borrow from people with no intention to pay them back. Uh, not that he was looking directly to scam them. He was also hoping to win money. And then pay them back But that could be said by, by about a lot of people in poker A lot of scumbags in poker Who borrow based upon false pretenses And then need everything to fall perfectly to pay back So Chino lied to a lot of people About his ability to pay Believe it or not There is one person I know Who once foolishly lent Chino $8,000 on poker stars, Not knowing his reputation yet And got paid back within about a week or two In full and that person's name is Todd Wutelis. I once loaned Chino $8,000, and I, I, I'm still amazed that I got it back within one or two weeks. I guess maybe because he knew my reputation that I would just go, go nuts blowing up his name everywhere. And it was not known then what, uh, what Chino was like. So uh, this was just after he won the million dollars in uh, the World Series. So I, I, whatever year that was. I forget what year it was. I think it was 2009. 08, 09, something like that. But whatever year he won a million dollars in the World Series at the uh, final table, the main event, just after that, he wanted $8,000 on Poker Stars. I'm like, well, hey, this guy just won a million dollars at the final table. Yeah, I, I think, of course, he can give me $8,000. So I stupidly loaned it to him on Poker Stars. <laughs> and then I started hearing from people 
that he was having problems paying people, and that he was broke already. I'm like, oh shit, that's down a rat hole. But miraculously, he paid me. But I, again, I think it was my reputation. I think he was afraid that uh, if he didn't, I was going to make a huge deal and it would ruin his borrowing power with other people. That's what I think. That actually amazes me because you seem the most prudent person around. You know, um, what happened was he told me he'll give me cash. And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of wanted the cash. I, you know, he said, you I kind of got greedy for the cash, for the like a, like a chips for cash exchange, and I kind of wanted the cash, and we were both right there in Vegas, and, you know, he told me he'd meet me the next day and give me the cash, and it, it all sounded so good. So I said, all right, cool. And then he couldn't meet me the next day, and they couldn't meet me the next day, and then I asked someone, they're like, oh, man, you're in trouble. And it's like, shit, I'm such an idiot. I bet by then you asked Cheek for flapping a little bit, weren't they? Yeah, I go, yeah they did. And I was like, oh, crap. I, got, I really thought it was gone. And uh, so I, then I, I was uh, gently encouraging Chino to pay me. And, and I really mean that. I wasn't threatening him or, or, or uh, saying, hey, I'm going to expose you or anything. I, I started just kind of messaging him every day and calling him every day. And, uh, you know, he said, so he eventually sent me the money back on stars, which wasn't what he agreed to. But believe me, I was thrilled to get it. I wasn't going to say, hey, you said, get, you, you said this is cash. I, I was thrilled to get it back and just, like, have the whole thing behind me. So, like, about two weeks after the whole thing, he sent me 8K on stars, and I was thrilled. And I, I found out later I was one of the few people to ever get paid back by Chino in such a way. So I feel, my, I feel fortunate there. But uh, anyway, um, Chino... He he, uh, he borrowed from so many people, and again, using the reputation he had that he had just final tabled the main event. That was a lot of around that time is when he borrowed a lot of the money, because exactly like what I felt, the guy just was on TV. The guy just was at the main event of the final table with over a million dollars that he cashes. Of course, he's good for it. Of course, he's good for a few thousand. No, he wasn't. So. Uh, he borrowed a lot then He borrowed a lot more over the years And uh, a lot of people got really angry Because he really did it in a way where He was Lying to them about his ability to pay back It was always like Hey give me this money right now I, I just need it, I'll give it back tomorrow so It was always some excuse about uh, Why he needs it for the moment But it's not that he's broke It wasn't that he was asking Hey loan me money because I'm broke But I think I can win It was really just loan me this I'll, I'll give it to you like in a few days for whatever story. So people got pissed. Now here's an example of someone who got really pissed, a guy named Harley Sorka, back in 2011, almost two years ago, August 21st, 2011. Um, at the Aria, Harley Sorka got so angry that Chino Reams showed up and sat at the game that he didn't even want to see him at the table and tried to chase him out of the game. And uh, a fight almost started until Mike Mizraki, who's been uh, a longtime friend of Chino Ream from Florida, where they both lived, uh, Mike Mizraki finally got in the middle and stopped it. Now, you won't hear Mike Mizraki's voice, but listen to this altercation that occurred two years ago between uh, Chino Ream and Harley Sorka in the Aria Poker Room. You got some chips in front of you. So you're a mouth, fucking right? punk motherfucker. You, you everybody fucking money. You're right, I do. You're, you're right. standing you're right. there. You're I don't right. want you at the fucking table. Right. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. 
Get the fuck out of here. Chino's challenging him here. He can say one more fucking word. Say one more fucking word. There's no way Chino was going to punch this guy. This guy was bigger than Chino. This guy, you know, this guy was pissed off that Chino was was trying to put on a front of being tough, but uh, no one was buying it. And then this guy wasn't buying it. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Now, by the way, the sorry, sorry, sorry was not Chino. That was uh, the guy recording the video. Uh, probably he was told not to record the video within the poker room and uh, pretended to like put his phone down and then quickly picked it back up. That, that's what I was getting from that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You ain't got shit in front of you. You ain't got shit in front of you. Yeah, but he's kind of right. You know, uh, Chino Reem may have had shit in front of him at the table, but in reality, he owed so many people money, he said he owed the whole city of Las Vegas money, which uh, wasn't that far from the truth. And he was just disgusted to see Chino showing up at the table like, uh, you know, like nothing's wrong. He just ready to gamble. So uh, that occurred two years ago. So this shows you the anger a lot of people had at Chino. Lindgren doesn't get treated the same way. I think partially because Lindgren's a lot more physically imposing. Lindgren's a pretty big guy. Uh, he's, he's like, uh, Lindgren's like 6'2", six 6'3", six and has like an athletic build to him. So, uh, and, and Chino's like a short, skinny little Asian guy. So it's a lot easier to do that to Chino than a guy like Lindgren. But but still, I, there's, there's a lot more anger at Chino, and again, I think it's the way that they borrowed the money. I think with Lindgren, he really thought, oh, I have so much money coming in from Full Tilt, I can just eventually pay everybody here. You know, it's no problem, it'll take care of itself. There's no there's no way with 250k a month coming in, I can't take care of this somehow. Chino just was borrowing money that he never had a way to pay back. So, uh, now here's Chino's interview with Matt Savage after winning the World Poker Tour a few days ago. It's on, uh, I guess, May 24th, May 25th, whenever this was. Chino won $1.1 million. This is his interview, and Matt Savage does bring up, in kind of a light way, he doesn't like get in his face in any way, like not even close, but he does bring up Chino's problems. And we'll hear what Chino had to say about that and what Chino's plans are for the future. And I'll, we can comment on that afterwards, how we feel Chino is going to proceed from this point, because the thing on everyone's mind is, has everyone gotten paid back, or at least some people gotten paid back? And is Chino going to do this to people again? So we'll hear. Chino, it's your fourth $1 million plus cash in your career. Where does this one rank? It ranks, it's special because uh, this this tournament, it was the WPT championship and it's full of stacked players and every table that you look at always has like three or four pros that you can recognize. It's a real tough field. Um, So it's very special to me, uh, especially just for the fact that, uh, you know, I've been given a lot of chances in my life and uh, before, whenever I had scores, I always told myself I wasn't going to, you know, put myself in the same position that I was and I found myself in the same position I was many times before I won this tournament. So it's special that uh, hopefully I can have a, a, a better mindset and, and uh, you know outlook on life and uh, what I'm going to do with my plans. The World Series is right around the corner. It gives me definitely my swagger back, a big confidence boost going into the World Series this summer. So I'm just really going to just try to crush. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's special. You talk. 
Now, now before I go on here, they they showed a little video of you know right after Chino won, and his little entourage there. And among the entourage are, of course, a Michael Mizraki who is uh, sticks by Chino through the thick and thin. I mean, this has really hurt Mizraki's reputation to some degree that he's stuck by Chino the whole time. But he's he's never abandoned Chino through all Chino's done. And you know, Mizraki's no angel. He's, he represents uh, lock poker and doesn't give a shit about what's going on there. But uh, he and and uh, Chino are two very different people, though. He's uh, Mizraki is not a scammer, and Mizraki is uh, you know he he's never done what Chino has done. But he's stuck by Chino. They're they're old school friends, and uh, with an arm around both Mizraki and Chino is Mark Newhouse. Probably haven't thought of Newhouse much recently, but Newhouse also a World Poker Tour winner, also someone who shot off all his money. Also someone who was a big degenerate, but uh, uh, Newhouse never uh, scammed anyone, as far as I know. Newhouse has always been known as a really nice guy. Sometimes he, he's done some stupid things because he was uh, he kind of fell in with a degenerate, not very ethical sort of crowd, especially out there in commerce. But uh, Newhouse, very excited to see him winning, too. And I have to imagine that uh, Newhouse is owed money by Chino, because Newhouse, he, he lends money to everyone. Especially in the past, like the new house, just uh, that's where a lot of his money went. It's just uh, his so-called friends took advantage of him and borrowed from him and never paid him back. So I, I hope Newhouse got something out of this. And uh, you know, all my interactions with Newhouse, by the way, have always been very positive. He's he's done some very nice things for me in the past that he didn't have to do and didn't gain anything from. And uh, so I hope he got paid if he was part of who uh, Chino owed money. I'm not sure who backed Chino. Maybe it was even uh, Ms. Rocky. I don't know how much Ms. Rocky has these days, but maybe it was him. Uh, it's not clear who backed him. Uh, could be anyone in this shot here. I don't recognize One thing I would say is with Chino, if anyone's seen a picture of him lately, he, he doesn't look good. He looks as though he's had a lot of stress. Yeah, you know, it's, it's true. Chino has always been like a smaller guy, but he looks incredibly skinny. And he does look like he's been through a lot. He he does have the look like someone who's been kind of worn down. And I'm not saying I feel sorry for him, but that's a good point. I, I thought that when I saw him, too, I'm like, wow, Chino just doesn't look healthy here. So, and who knows, he may have had a drug problem, I, I don't know. But, uh, uh, so he talked about how after this, where he hasn't talked about what he's going to do next, but he was saying that in the past when he's had million-plus scores, that he always said he's not going to get himself back in the position where he was prior to these scores, because every time he had these million-plus scores, he was broke. And it's like, oh, thank God I got money again. And I'm not going to blow it this time, and then blew it every single time. This guy is just a stone-cold degenerate, and, and keep in mind, I don't think he's really learned his lesson, because he was playing, like, a, a, a video poker machine, a high-stakes video poker machine, or semi-high-stakes, on the same day that he won this thing. And he even hit a jackpot there for, for the a Royal Flush. For $17,000. So, uh, Chino, I don't think he's learned his lesson, but he says he did. Listen to what he says he's going to do for the future. Talk about uh, doing the wrong thing before. Um, what are you going to do differently this time? I don't know. I'm just not, I'm definitely not going to try to be as careless or reckless as I've been in the past. Uh, definitely going to try to uh, take my time when I'm thinking and not be so uh, impulsive and make better decisions just based on life in general just make better life decisions and uh, you know definitely not take these opportunities for granted poker is different than it was like 10 years ago when I started there was money when when money maker one it was a poker boom and uh, now it's a little different so I'm going to treat it different you know what I don't like about this answer 
he said nothing about paying anyone back. I would think that if he really felt remorse for what happened in the past, if he really felt he was immature and stupid and uh, borrowed when he shouldn't have borrowed and misled people to get money, you would think the first thing he would say is, I wronged a lot of people. I owe a lot of people money. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to make it right with them immediately with the money I have from this. And even if he doesn't want to get into the whole backer situation, just something like that, something telling his backers, hey, you're going to get some money now. Not his backers, his, his, the people he owes money to. Hey, you're going to get paid at least somewhat right now since I just won this. But you hear nothing. You hear just like, I'm not going to blow my money in the future, which is great, but it doesn't help the people that he already owes money to right now, that he already screwed, people that trusted him, and that we're left holding the bag. How do you feel about this? Well, both of them seem to be as bad as each other. I mean, it's hard to sort of grade them as to who's the most degenerate out of the two. But to me, it seems like they must be in a perpetual sort of state of getting state, have to give up 80% or whatever it is of the, the prize money, and then immediately having to pay back people they owe. And it will just go on into a circle. And I don't see how they can get out of it. Um, what amazes me is the fact that people are still prepared to sort of pay it, which brings up a bit of a moral sort of issue. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to play the rest of this, and then we'll talk about the, the moral issue surrounding this whole thing of people even staking him here. You talk about uh, some of the people that are behind you and some of the support you've had. And I know you've you know put a lot of your friends through a lot. And uh, at this point in your career... What are you going to do to give us a little bit back? I'm going to take care of the people who's taking care of me. It's that simple, plain and simple. The people who looked out for me, these are people, I'll die for these people. And, uh, you know, they're my homies. And uh, like I said before in our, in our earlier interview, no amount of money can, can, can express or, or, or value what their friendship means to me. You gave a little shout-out uh, there with Mike Sexton. What was that all about? I gave a shout-out to Kevy Kev. Blue, I know you're at home in Thug's Mansion. You know, our boy Kevin, he's been on tour with us for years. Uh, he's sick. He has, you know, a form of cancer. And uh, all, all I want to say, buddy, I told you I was going to win this one for you. I didn't lie. I meant it. We're all here supporting you. Just stay strong. Let's talk a little bit about the poker. We had uh, John. So before we get to talking about poker, so at the beginning, it sounds like he's doing the right thing. I'm going to take care of the people who took care of me. At first, it sounded like he was claiming that he was going to pay people back who had... Uh, lent him money in the past, but that's not what he meant. It sounds like he was talking about he's going to take care of his friends. He's going to take care of the people he's close to. And maybe even take care of this guy with cancer, whoever that is, this Kevy Kev. I, I don't even know who that is. But uh, it sounds like he is going to take care of the people who stuck by him, who didn't criticize him, who, uh, you know, he didn't say these words. This is what I took it, that anyone who remained friendly with him, who remained on good terms with him throughout everything, and, and uh, remain close with him, that if he owes money to those people, he will pay them, which I guess is good news for Mark Newhouse if he's owed money. But uh, as far as everybody else, including anyone who's called him out, I have a feeling that he's not including those people. Is that what you got from this? Yeah, I think so. He, he's definitely being ambiguous. And it came across as a bit of a PR exercise, knowing that he was being interviewed. Um, it means nothing, really. I mean, he's... He's just a degenerate. It's just going to go on and on. 
Yeah, it is true. He's being interviewed here. You, you can't say, no, I'm paying nobody. I'm keeping it all for myself, or I'll find a way to worm out of it. Like, no one's going to say that, even if that's totally their plan. But uh, even this statement wasn't like, hey, if I owe you money, you're going to be getting something. Like, if, if I was in his situation, that's what I'd say. I wouldn't get in his situation, but if I was, and I won something like this, even if my backer took a healthy cut, I would come out, and they, they say, hey, what are you going to do about those people that... Uh, I forgot the way the question was phrased to him, but I, I would say, if I owe you money, you can smile because you're going to get some in your pocket. Maybe not everything I owe because what I won can't cover it, but you're going to get something from me. Everybody who I owe money to right now is going to get something from me and something substantial. I'd say something like that to make it very clear to anyone who's watching that the money I won is for them to make up for everything that happened before. Not I'm just going to give money to people who've stuck by me and been my friend. So let me. Uh, yeah, I think... The only reason he's um, said anything was because a couple of years ago, this wasn't out in the open, and therefore he didn't need to say anything. Yeah. Whereas now, people know. Yeah, it's very well known now. So yeah, he has to address it, especially with Matt Savage bringing it up. Jonathan Waugh early on, and uh, you know he was actually doing pretty well and pushing you guys around a little bit. Eric said he had a little bit of trouble with him on that last hand. Tell me how that felt. I mean, the last hand felt good, obviously, when I saw the three of diamonds peel off on the river, and, I, and he just fired two big barrels I, it obviously felt good I wasn't sure if he was going to bet or not but when he moved it on the river obviously it was the best three of diamonds I've ever seen in my life <laughs> and getting heads up with Eric obviously you know he's been through his own struggles uh, recently and uh, you know it's it's pretty public everybody knows about it out there and I, I think that you two getting heads up was meaningful here today yeah, um, what do you feel yeah it was definitely meaningful here's the thing that I want like the outside world, the public, to realize, yeah, you guys can hear or read a lot of things or whatnot. Don't judge unless you really understand or you know. I mean, uh, Eric's a great guy. People don't understand that he's a great... Don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, man. I, I, I made a few mistakes, but we're good people. We're good people. I hate when people say things like this. When you, when you do something screwed up, when you screw people over, especially people who trust you, don't say you don't understand my situation. I'm a good guy. This person's a good guy. Look, I I know life is not like TV where you have a good guy who never screws over anyone, sticks his neck out for anyone that uh, he sees as being wrong, and then you have the bad guys who are pure evil and get off on doing terrible things. That's what you see on TV. That's what you see in the movies. Real life isn't like that. You, You don't have all that many purely evil or purely good people in this world. So I, I believe that Eric Lindgren has some good qualities. I'm sure Chino Reem has some good qualities. But that doesn't mean that when they scam people or when they make bets with money they can't cover or when they uh, borrow money on false pretenses, you can't say, hey, you know, don't believe everything you read. These are good people. Don't, you know, don't think of us for what you're seeing unless you you uh, know the whole situation. There isn't that much to know. Did you or did you not borrow money from people and misrepresent your ability to pay them? If the answer is yes, you've just committed a scummy move. If the answer is yes, it's almost as bad as stealing from someone. It's just a, one small step up from stealing from someone. Because when you borrow money from people and they loan you the money only because they believe you will pay them very soon and you have the ability to pay very soon and you really don't, you have gotten their money on very, very false pretenses. And that's extremely wrong. And it doesn't matter if you have a gambling addiction. It doesn't matter if uh, 
you know, you mean well, or you, or you think you're going to win, or you have confidence in your game, or what, whatever the story is. You are lying to someone to get their money, and you, you don't know if they can afford to give you the money. You don't know what hardship it's going to cause them. And even if it doesn't, even if they're really rich and it's not going to affect their lifestyle, it's still taking money from someone that you should not be taking. And you can't, you can't come out there and say, oh man, you don't understand us, you, you, you don't know the situation. If there's a rational, logical explanation for what happened, explain it. Tell us. This is definitely a case where both of them are guilty until proven innocent from everything that's come out. You can't just say, there's stuff you don't know, which would, uh, you know, if you knew us, then you'd understand. And now, some have criticized Matt Savage for not being uh, more harsh, more blunt during this interview. Some people think he was softballing questions. And I don't blame Matt Savage. This isn't, uh, you know, I can come here on a radio show like this and uh, be hard-hitting and be... uh, uh, blunt and be offensive and all that because I, I'm not broadcasting for the World Poker Tour. But uh, yeah, this is a different story. This is actually going to be on TV. This is... Uh, you know, Matt Savage is actually working for someone else. He can't just editorialize and he can't uh, get in Chino's face about this. This isn't his job. So I give Matt Savage credit for asking these questions at all. He could have just asked about the hands they played at the table and uh, and that was that. At least he brought up the topics. So I'll give him that. I'm, I don't feel that Matt Savage needed to go farther than this. I, I agree this is not a hard-hitting interview. I agree this is not an interview that's uh, demanding answers or, or criticizing the answers that Chino's giving. But Matt Savage couldn't do that here, and I get that. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one as well. Especially even more so in the States, where it's not legal. You're trying to get it to as much of the public awareness as possible. Um, you know, poker into the actual public domain, and by slating him and bringing up all the degeneracy he has, doesn't do that. So, uh, I, I agree. I think um, it was a little bit of a softball, but it was needed to be. Yeah. So, like, the, exactly. The World Poker Tour, they want you to root for guys like Chino and Lindgren, and they they don't want you to think these guys are scumbags who uh, borrow under false pretenses and owe people tons of money, and you know they're bad guys, and you shouldn't root for them. They they want you to root for the people you know, like Chino Ream and uh, Eric Lindgren. And they, they don't want you really to know the backstories to a lot of these guys that aren't very impressive. So uh, that's why the World Poker Tour, they, they don't want to highlight these things. And I understand that. I don't think this is their... I don't think this is really what the World Poker Tour needs to do, because they're uh, they're a poker broadcast. They're, they're not a poker magazine or newspaper. They're not reporters. They're showing final tables, and they're interviewing the winners. It's, it's not up to them to editorialize and to hassle them about life mistakes. So now I, I think it would be bad if the World Poker Tour uh, glorified these guys. If they said, you know, Chino, you're a great guy with a everyone loves in poker, and you have a great reputation. I think that would be crappy if they lied about uh, what their reputations were. But uh, you know, Matt Savage asked him some questions. I'll give him credit for that. We let this finish here. He's had some. Uh little ups and downs in his life, but who hasn't? Who hasn't made mistakes? At least, you know, he can be a man and come out and be clean about it in a minute, and he's just trying to make better. You know, he's got a beautiful wife and a beautiful son, and he's just trying to make better with his life, doing what he's very good at doing. And, you know, uh, for me and E personally, like I I even spoke to him before we, like, played the final table. It's just like uh, he says he made a very good point. He said, you know, don't worry about what people think or say about you because they don't really understand who you are. Only your cr- close friends and your family do. 
which can't be anything more than the truth. And uh, you know, <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of that conversation. Just uh, you know, two guys who pretty much got themselves in the same spot by lying to people and borrowing money that they couldn't pay back, and uh, really frustrating a lot of people who once liked and trusted them. And they're both saying, "Hey, you know, don't worry what other people say. You're a good guy. Yeah, you're a good guy too. Yeah." Yeah, so you owe some money. Yeah, you owe some money too. Yeah, you know what? We're both good guys. Yeah, we're both good guys. <laughs> I can imagine the conversation here. Like they're they're both going, Yeah, yeah. Why is the internet giving us such a hard time? Yeah, fuck the internet. Yeah, fuck those haters. You know, it's uh, th- this is really a case where uh, sometimes two people in the same spot enable each other. It's like putting two drug addicts together who are both. Telling each other that the world doesn't understand that they're really not addicted to drugs, that you know, the world is just being judgmental because they like to have fun once in a while. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Come on, let's snork this coke over here. Like, I, that's the uh, the ge- de- degenerate gambling version of that was going on there when these two were having that conversation. Yep. I think you probably hit the nail on the head as well. If you said you saw Chino or reported that Chino was on. Um, um, playing high stakes video poker. Yeah. That sort of sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's already playing video poker, right? Oh, that's crazy. Like, like I don't know if it's right after he won or right before he won, like right before the final table, but whatever. Like, he, he's already playing uh, $25 a hand video poker, which isn't super high limit, but when you're you're kind of busto, that is. It's a great guy. People don't understand that. He's a great person. Yeah, he's, he's had some uh, little ups and downs in his life, but who hasn't? Who hasn't made mistakes? <laughs> At least, you know, he can be a man and come out and be clean about it in a minute, and he's just trying to make better. You know, he's got a beautiful wife and a beautiful son. and he's- Yeah, I know, I know I'm playing this part again, but uh, I wanted to talk again about what he said there, about how Lindgren admitted it. He only admitted it after it got to be a huge threat on 2 plus 2, and he couldn't avoid it anymore. That, that's the only reason he admitted it. It wasn't like one person brought it up, and he's like, yeah, okay, you caught me. All right, yeah, I owe some money. Yeah, yep, uh you brought it up, so yep, that's true. Like he ignored this for a long time until it couldn't be ignored anymore. He's just trying to make better with his life, doing what he's very good at doing. And you know, uh, for me and E personally, like I, I even spoke to him before we like played the final table. It's just like uh, he says that he made a very good point. He said, you know, don't worry about what people think or say about you because they don't really understand who you are. Only your cr- close friends and your family do, which can't be anything more than the truth. And uh, you know. I tip my head off to E. Well, look, despite all the haters out there, there's a lot of people out there pulling for you. A lot of people on the World Poker Tour. I think you're a great champion here tonight. And, uh, you know, we're happy to have you as our champion here at the World Poker Tour. Thanks a lot. All right. God, that music's loud. <laughs> World Poker Tour blowing out your ears. Ear surgery brought to you by the Club WPT. Blowing your ears out since 2003. But anyway, that's that's the interview with uh, Chino, and uh, I, I hope he and Lindgren use most of the money that they got to keep for themselves to pay people. I'm sure their backers got their cut, but after that, I really hope that they paid people and that they don't just pay the people who are friendly with them. That's one thing I hate when people owe money is when they give priority to those who are either their friends or who have been easy about not hassling them for it. Because that's crap. If, if you owe money to someone for a long time, you shouldn't drop them down on the uh, payback priority list 
because they're asking you for the money or because they're not as good a friend of yours as uh, some other people you might owe. You should pay back people pretty much in the order in which they loaned you the money. Or what's also acceptable is just splitting it across the board. Say, okay, I owe all these people money, so I can pay everyone back. Uh, I can afford to pay everyone back 15% of what I owe them right now. So if I owe you 1000 I'm paying you 150 If I owe you 10000 I'm paying you 1500 And just you know, doing it fairly like that. Totally acceptable, too. Uh, what's not acceptable is picking and choosing who you pay back based upon how much you like them or how easy they've been about the whole situation when they've owed you. So I have a feeling this is not going to end that well. We'd like to believe that when $1.6, $1.7 million gets won by these two collectively, that the poker world gets $1.7 million richer from money long owed to them. But it doesn't. Not only do the backers take their cut, but these guys don't really pay back the way they should. Either they don't pay back at all, they pay back very little, they pay back only certain people that they like, whatever. Now let's discuss the ethics of this whole thing, because some people are having this debate on 2 plus 2, and I've thought about this myself. Should these guys be playing at all? Or do people like uh, Harley Sorka have a point that they shouldn't even be at the poker table? That they should be out of poker and working at a McDonald's somewhere? And, uh, you know, I understand this. I understand it's kind of an affront to those that are owed money. And you think, imagine a guy like Chino owes you, say, 30 k And he's been stalling you for five years about it. And then he sits down at your poker table with 20 k And you're pissed, even though if you know it's not his money. You're pissed that he gets to sit down and play next to you in your game and maybe even win your money with 20 k when he owes you 30 and hasn't paid you a penny in five years. I can understand why people like Harley Sorka get pissed. And I, have to, I don't know for sure that Chino owed him personally, but I have to imagine he probably did because uh, that would make sense why he's just so angry to see him there. If it didn't involve him, I have to imagine Harley wouldn't have been that pissed off. But regardless, uh, the question is, should people be backing guys like Chino? Uh, is this creating a vicious cycle where uh, what happens is these guys never really get out? And even if they win, and even if they pay people back, inevitably they lose all their money again and again borrow under false pretenses. And does their winning a million dollars very publicly enable them to scam more people? Because people maybe still who aren't as aware of this might have just heard Chino won $1.1 million, and when Chino comes to them in two months and says, hey, can I borrow five k If you've only heard Chino won $1.1 maybe you'll lend it to him if you haven't really been paying attention. So should these guys be backed at all, or should the poker community just say, you know what, that's it. I'm not going to, let's all just get together and not back Chino. Let's find better people to back who don't have a bad reputation and may just be broke. But but people like Chino, you know, sorry whoever he owes money to, but uh, we're, we're just going to shut him out of the game unless he can find a way to put himself back in. But, but not have the poker community... Uh, give him charity, or even if it's not charity, uh, backing him and getting him back in the game, only to see the whole cycle repeat and see new people get scammed in the future. So before I give my opinion, Nutty, how do you feel about this? Well, I think, hypothetically, if I was one of the people who was owed 20k by Chino, I would be pissed off if he sat at the table with me, knowing that someone backed him. But on the other hand, 
I would also be aware that without him being backed, then I can kiss the money goodbye. So that would be the one possibility of getting paid. So whilst I would be a little bit annoyed and find it repugnant that people are still backing him, on the, on the other hand, I would still want to get paid myself. And the fact of the matter is, these ain't gonna, you know, they ain't gonna go to Mackie D's and work there and pay their back and back. So this is their only chance. And I think in the poker world, all the debts get magnified far, far more out of um, perspective compared to a normal job. And that has to be taken into consideration. And so, again... Uh-oh. Sounds like we're losing... Sounds like we're having a little uh, connection problem with you here. Uh, Before I give my reaction here, uh, just one question here. Do you... Are you on a, uh, like internal mic or do you actually have a headset on or do, are you speaking through the computer no i don't have a headset on no i'm just speaking into my laptop do you have a headset because that's the sound quality isn't that good because of the internal mic oh it would be a lot better if i had a mic on a headset yeah yeah do you have one no oh sorry <laughs> sorry what i can do what i do is i stay on for about another 20 minutes or so and then when I come on next time, or if there is a next time, I'll um, make sure I have a headset. Yeah, okay. You know, like, I, I like what you have to say here. I just, uh, um, yeah, some people are complaining yeah, it's about sound quality. because I can't tell what other people are hearing, but right. I, can get, I get the impression that, obviously, there's a lot of feedback coming out. Yeah, it's just not the best sound quality. and Those internal microphones just aren't very good. So, uh, yeah. yeah, get a headset, and, and uh, we'll definitely have you on next time. But you, you can hang out a little bit here still. But, you know, yeah, I'll uh, stay on for 20 minutes or so, and then I'll get to, um, I'll leave you guys to do it properly, and I'll just be a, a voyeur and go in the chat. Okay, very good. So, so uh, you know, his, I feel pretty much like how you do about this. It doesn't offend me to see Chino or Lindgren at the poker table. It offends me more to see guys like uh, Howard Lederer at the poker table who actually are playing with stolen money. Uh, it's a little different when it's playing with borrowed money that they got under false pretenses or, or in, in actually... But that's actually not, not even what they were doing. Uh, it, it's it, what they're actually doing is playing with uh, stake money that people are staking them after they've lost the borrowed money from false pretenses. So, so as you said, this is their way—the only way that they can realistically pay back anyone. I mean, what's Chino going to do? Uh, what kind of job is he going to get that would ever make him the money that he needs to pay people back? He, he wouldn't even get close. So, while you might be able to laugh at Chino if you see him. Uh, serving you at McDonald's or working some sort of a low-wage job, uh, he'd have the final laugh because you wouldn't get paid. Uh, if he can find people to back him, if he can find people willing to put the money up and take the risk on him, if Chino then spends, or he, if he then uses the money he won after the backer takes their cut to pay people back, even if they don't fully get paid back, even if he pays, makes a good faith effort from that point to pay them back, and then continues doing so every time he wins money playing poker, then I'm okay with that. I'm not saying this makes Chino a good guy. I'm not saying this excuses what he did. I'm saying that for the people he owes money to, this is the only way they will get it back. And it doesn't hurt anyone, because the backer, you know, he's wasting his own money if, if you think it's him wasting it. Uh, if Chino is a good investment, if he's a good player, which I think he is, then the backer isn't really wasting much. You know, he probably has a at least a decent spot there. And um, you know, provided the backer really gets his part, provided Chino really pays people and really stops the crap with borrowing from people 
again under false pretenses, claiming, hey, I just won a million dollars, then I think it's fine. Where I don't think it's fine is either if Chino doesn't pay people, if he selectively pays people, or if he then uses the backing and the subsequent win to trick more people into loaning him in the future. So at that point, then I think everybody has to get together, and it probably wouldn't happen because you know people just backers are selfish. Backers just want to back someone they think has a chance to make the money. But in the perfect world, in the ethical world, I would say at that point, that's when the backers should say, okay, enough is enough here. Uh, this is the same cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again. All that's going to happen here is even if some people do get paid back, more people will get scammed, and some people will probably never get paid. So I think we need to watch very closely what happens with Chino and with Lindgren, both of whom have, uh, in a way, professed that they're going to do it differently this time. And while Chino definitely didn't say what he needed to say, um... They, they both were claiming they're going to make things right in some way. And I really hope that they do. They can't make things completely right with what they won, even with these large sums of money they won. But I want to see a good faith effort from them. And if we don't, that's when the backers are committing like an ethical violation to continue backing them. This is really their last chance and after that, then you have to say to the backers, hey, you know, you realize when you're backing this guy, all he's going to do is, uh, uh, with his part, he's just going to still screw people he owes money to. You know, how about not backing this guy anymore? You know, and the backer may say F you, especially if it's a close friend of his. But uh, that's where the backer would have some moral responsibility to stop it. But the truth is, in poker, a lot of people don't have any kind of, uh, they, they don't have really much as far as ethics goes. They're really out to make money think, whatever way they I can. I think one suggestion would be, let's say a backer was um, given 80% of the event. What they could do is, uh, assuming the person cashes, they could take 50% of the, the win on the proviso that the other 30% is still owed to them but goes to the back of the queue in terms of the debt. And then if they're a serious backer, it just provides that momentum to get the um, other people who they owe to get paid back with them. Yeah, well, the problem is if they do that, I bet what would probably happen... First of all, the backer probably wouldn't want that because he knows he's probably never going to get the money. And, and second, I, I think the uh, the more the backer gives to Chino, I think a lot of it will end up getting uh, wasted in video poker or, or at other places. So uh, I, I, I think one good idea could be the backer just takes the whole thing, or almost the whole thing. Like if the backer's deal was to get 70%, the backer takes 95%, but then distributes 25% to the people that Chino owes money, where he gives it himself, uh, rather than having Ch- to count on Chino to do it. But yeah, that never occurs. That, that would be like in a perfect world situation. But in reality, the backer's just thrilled to get his part and then just washes his hands of whatever occurs after that. He's like, okay, Chino, you gave me your 70%. Great, thank you. Here's your 30%. Uh, I, I don't care if you wipe your ass with it and flush it down the toilet. It's not my business. That's, a, that, that's the way the backers see it. And... Uh, you know, I can understand that in a way, but at the same time, I, I always believe in responsibility to the community that you're part of. And if you know the person you're backing is going to use the fact that he won to trick people into loaning him more money, if you know that he's going to take the money that he won and selectively pay people back and still screw some others, at some point you got to say, I, I I see how this pisses people off. You know, I, I don't want to back this guy anymore, even if he's a profitable spot. I don't want to back him anymore if I know he's going to do this to people. If I know, if I know after scoring 1.1 million, if there's still going to be people who be people who don't get a penny from him, 
I, I just don't want to back this guy. I think he's a piece of shit. Like, I, I would hope that a backer would say that, but they probably wouldn't. The backer would probably say, oh, great, look how much money I made because he's a good player. And that's, that's the sad reality of the poker community to, uh, you know, for a large percentage of people who uh, do backing. So anyway, uh, let's uh, move on to the next subject here. World Series of Poker. We'll talk about it a little bit here. Uh, it begins tomorrow with the... It's kind of a weird first event, and I'm not talking about the casino employees event. That's always technically the first event. But the same day they have the actual first event that's open to the public, like an eight-handed $5,000 no-limit event, which is kind of a weird kickoff event. I always wonder why they start off on such a weak foot so often at the World Series. You would think that they they would want to start the thing like on a Saturday or Sunday with one of those huge $1,500 or $1,000 no-limit fields. Like event number six this year, the Millionaire Maker. That should be event number one or event number two. It shouldn't be event number six. But for for some reason, they're starting the World Series in the middle of the week. You know, right in the middle of the week, Wednesday. And they're starting with that weird event. Uh, the next event after that on Thursday is a, uh, I, I think it's a $1,000 no limit event. And that should get a decent field. But the event I'm really focusing on here is the first one I'm going to be playing. And that's a new event called the Millionaire Maker, $1,500 no-limit event. It's just like a regular $1,500 no-limit tournament at the World Series with 4500 in starting chips. But the only twist is that there's a million-dollar guaranteed first prize. And this is part of the whole Millionaire Maker promotion that uh, Caesars has going on. I'm talking about Caesars, the corporation. They... Uh, they brag about how many people they've made into millionaires since they started this, and I think they claim there's over 700 right now. So they, it's for the average person to look at and say, wow, look at all these people, look at all these average folks who will probably never see a million dollars in their life otherwise. And they became millionaires thanks to the Caesars Corporation. And this entices people to play. So... They have a lot of millionaire maker, you know, little uh, you know, millionaire maker slot machines and other other things where you can uh, win a million dollars in some way through Caesars. This is the first time there's a millionaire maker event related to the World Series, and what they've done is they've made a Saturday tournament, and uh, they're expecting a huge field. They've been promoting this a lot, and they're guaranteeing no matter how many people enter that there will be a million-dollar first prize. Now, is there any chance there will be an overlay to this? No. No chance at all. They get huge fields for stuff like this. Huge. A lot of people are predicting around 6,000 people are going to enter total. Or at least... uh, There's a new thing that can be done this year. There's a same-day re-entry. Not a rebuy, but a re-entry. They have one part of the field starting at 11 in the morning which is the first time they're ever doing it. It used to always be noon would be the earliest uh, tournament start time. Now they're starting at 11 for uh, 6A. And 6B, instead of starting the next day, is starting at 5 p.m. Presumably, uh, you know, they're going to clear out space because a lot of people bust in those first six hours. And then they'll have space to start another tournament room where it's just starting over, which is going to be kind of weird because uh, you're going to have the people playing 6A, I presume, still at 5 p.m. I don't think they're going to end the day at 5 p.m. for the 6A people. So you're going to have like the 6A people playing in one room, the 6B people playing into the other room at 5 p.m., like six hours behind. It's really strange. 
I, I don't know how they're going to combine them. I, I really didn't understand that fully. But regardless of the logistics with that, uh, what they're trying to do is encourage people who have busted in the first six hours, which is where most of the people bust. The first six hours, I think, takes out uh, more than half the field, typically. That they get to re-enter if they want. So if you entered the tournament at 11, and your table was a bunch of donkeys, and you feel like you can run circles around them, but you get bad cards, you take a bad beat, whatever it is, and you, you bust. Instead of saying, oh man, I wish I could be back in this thing. Well, you can be. You can re-enter now at 5 p.m., for what's known as day six B, even though or day six B is the same as uh, six, same day physically as six A. So how is this going to be handled? How how is the Rio going to be able to handle this? And when I say be able to handle, I don't mean having the physical space. I mean that a little bit too. But this is a new thing. I I've never seen this before. This has not been done by the World Series or or really anywhere from what I've seen. Maybe some tournament somewhere that I'm not aware of has done this before. But this is really odd to have a tournament starting at 11 a.m. And then six hours later, they start a second flight of that tournament while everyone's still playing the first flight. It's really strange. And I think there's going to be some screw-ups in the part of the World Series. I don't know what's going to happen yet, but I have a feeling this is not going to go off without a hitch. Because we're talking about Caesars. And Caesars screws up everything. Especially new things. Caesars is not very good with getting it right the first time. They're the opposite of that. Remember last year the bracelet bounty event, which isn't even a bracelet event, but it was a little thing they added at the end of the World Series, and I played it because, you know, just for the fun of it, and, you know, people get a bounty for knocking me out as a bracelet winner. And Brandon, I remember he predicted on the show it was going to be a complete mess, and he wasn't even going to play it because it was such a, it was going to be such a mess in his prediction. Well, Brandon looked like freaking Dion Warwick from the Psychic Friends Network because they had so many problems with that thing they could not get that thing right there were so many ridiculous problems and I mean it was a disaster so bad I'm not even going to play it next year even if they improve it I'm not going to play it the event was a joke in so many different ways I have a feeling that the millionaire maker especially with this weird 11am 5pm thing with day 6a 6b I think it's going to be a mess. I think it's going to be a clusterfuck, and I think that even though they're going to have a, uh, they're going to have practice with this already because they're doing the same thing with event three. Event three is not going to have the same field as event six. Event three is on a Thursday. It's just not going to get the same field as the Saturday Millionaire Maker event. And I think there's going to be a huge field. I think there's going to be huge lines. I think there's going to be a lot of confusion. I, I could even see weird things happening where people play in the wrong room or get assigned to the wrong room, or just weird crap like that. Uh, maybe some people who uh, transfer chips over. Maybe their buddies transfer them chips. Just think about it. If you're six hours ahead... I, I really wondered about this one. If you're six hours ahead of the people starting day 6B at 5 p.m., and you've already accumulated a nice big stack, I don't know, let's say you have 30K. You started from 4,500, you have 30K. And your buddy busted, and he's going to restart at 6B, at 5PM. He started with 4,500. If you slipped your buddy 5K, that would really do a lot for him. Because 5K, when you have 4,500, is a lot more meaningful than 5K when you have 30K. So, are we going to have people passing chips to their buddies, who are just starting again at 6B? 
Or are they going to maybe play with different chips? I don't know what the hell they're going to do. They, I just have to imagine there's going to be problems here. I have, to, I have to imagine next week I'm going to be on here talking about all the stupid things they did regarding the Millionaire Maker event. I, I just have we'll see odds on them. We'll see odds on Men the Master taking part with his entourage. Pretty high with a foot. Yeah, Men the Master is going to say, say, okay, okay, I, I, I play, I, I play a six A. You play a six B. And uh, oh no, I probably refer to. I, I play six B. I, I bus here. You, you stay here. You meet me at the beginning of six B. You, 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 we put chip in your pocket, and we meet in the bathroom. We go in this install number three. Install number three. You, you give me, uh, you give me chip. I, I can totally see something like that. I, I hope they're at least smart enough to use different chips, because I can totally see this happening. Totally see this happening. I mean, imagine in fact, um, and, and you could pr- probably get away with it pretty easily too. With that huge of a field, I mean, you're not going to get away with passing your friend 5K in chips if he's down to 500. People at the table will notice if someone suddenly uh, appears with a 5K more when they were down to almost nothing. But if you have somebody with like 4,500 and then suddenly they have 7,500 and they kind of slowly slip the chips in, you'll never notice. Unless you're like an eagle eye, you'll never notice. And even if you do notice, it'd be hard to prove. So that's one of many things that can happen here. I, I just don't think Seizures is going to get it right. But I'm going to play it anyway. I'm going to throw caution to the wind. And next week I will tell you about it. Now, by the way, you might be wondering, am I going to do the 6A, 6B thing? I am going to play 6A at 11 in the morning. I've gotten used to getting up early thanks to having a two and a half year old son. He gets me up not super early. He's a late sleeper like me, but he uh, late sleeper by baby standards is like 830. So I'm up fairly early every day. So 11 a.m. is not like... like Before I was going, oh my god, 11 a.m., that's terrible. Like, not anymore. 11 a.m. is fine for me. So I'll play at 11. But what if I bust? Will I come back in at 5? And my answer is, I'm not sure. Now, let me give you the reasons why I will or will not. Uh, I will if, number one, I feel good. Number two, I think the field is really weak. If I'm playing with a bunch of donkeys and I go, oh my god, this is such a good event, and then I bust, then yes, I probably will re-enter at 6B. If I think the players are a lot stronger than I expected, I probably won't re-enter. Now, how will I handle re-entering for people who bought pieces of me? Because uh, I think I've sold about 40% of myself or more in that event. Well, here's what I'm going to do. And I know some of you are still looking to buy pieces of me. And this is what I've come up with. Because I had to shut out some people who wanted to buy pieces of me since I sold out. Looking at this right now, I see that I sold, uh, wow, 45%. I didn't realize I sold that much. Wow. You guys are going to get a lot of money from me if I uh, end up winning a million bucks. Anyway. If I re-enter at 6B, does that mean you're out your money? And if I then score the million, then I keep it all myself? No. Here's what I decided to do. I'm going to take a list from people who want to buy 6B from me. And you have to pay me in advance, by the way. If I don't play 6B, either just because I decide not to, or because I do well in 6A and don't need 6B, then I will just refund you your money immediately. If you do buy 6B, what you'll be doing is you'll be buying a double share. And let me explain how a double share will work. The people who originally bought 6A, if I buy 6A and play 6B, what I will do 
is I will cut their shares in half. Because remember, you were only buying shares based upon a $1,500 buy-in. Now it will become a $3,000 buy-in because I'll have bought in a second time. So rather than just saying tough luck, and here's here's uh, 6B, what I'm going to do is I will split it to where um, you've basically paid for half for each. You've paid half 6A, half 6B. So uh, your shares will go down at that point at 6B. But um, you'll still have shares. So, for example, if you bought 2% of me, two shares for 6A, and I decide to play 6B and then I cash, you'll get 1% of whatever I cash instead of 2. If I don't even enter 6B, then you'll get the full 2%. For anyone who wants to buy new shares, then if I don't ever play 6B, if I either, you know, if I go all the way through on 6A and cash, then I'll just refund your money, you get nothing. Or if I decide not to play 6B, I'll just refund your money. But if I do enter 6B, and then I cash, then you will get the full thing of whatever you buy. So if you buy two shares, then you'll get 2%. The reason for this is because these people don't have a chance to get anything from 6A. So that's the way I'm going to do it. So anybody who wants to still buy a piece of me can do so for 6B. It's $18 a share. The share means 1%. And you will get your full 1%, but only if I play 6B. When I say play 6B, I mean actually if I put in $1,500 to 6B. If I don't, then your shares don't count and I will just refund you the money. So that's the story. And if you, if you only bought 6A, then if I do play 6B, then then you get uh, half of each. So that's the way I'm going to do it. So this way, uh, it, it pretty much keeps the same percentage of... of uh, whatever you've paid is... Uh, you just divide by whatever total buy-ins I had and that's how what percentage you own. So if, I, if I, you, you bought 10%, then, and I only buy 1500 and you paid me $150, then you get 10% of me. If I enter twice, then I've spent 3000 entering, well, now you only get 5% of me. So that's how I'll do it. But I'm not sure if I'm going to play 6B. We'll see. Hopefully I don't have to. Hopefully I'll just skate all the way through. You know, back in uh, 2007, one of the early No Limit events, the $1,000 No Limits with Rebuys, I think it was like event number eight. I did not rebuy. I did not add on. I put in a thousand bucks and I skated all the way through to tenth place, and I would have made it past that and made the televised final table had I not taken a beat from an ace on the river. I had it. I was going to bust. It was pretty much me and an equal stack going all in with ten left. Queens versus ace king. Ace pounded the river there. Admittedly, it was a pretty much fifty fifty shot. Going into the flop, but uh, after the flop, I was the favorite. Anyway, so that's the World Series. It's coming up this week. Uh, also, two days later on Monday, unless somehow I made day three of the Millionaire Maker event, which I really hope I do, I'll be playing the 1500 Limit Hold'em event. Nobody owns any piece of me of that. I decided to keep all that for myself. But just in case you think I kept it for myself because, uh, you know, I've been so successful and I don't want to share my winnings with anybody. I have bricked this damn event for seven consecutive years. I finished third in 2005. I have not cashed in it since. So I hope I break that streak. It's been very frustrating for me because uh, I enjoy the event. It just it hasn't worked out for me. Those are my only two events on the schedule until June 20th. So I'm playing a lighter schedule this year. I'm going to really, really try to make my events count this year. 
I think the fact that I'm playing a lighter schedule is going to really, really make me just really, really concentrate. Not, not that I didn't concentrate in previous years, but I've just, I just have this feeling like I, I just want to go there. I'm going to watch everyone so closely. I'm going to find every little edge I can. I'm not saying I'm going to angle shoot people, but I'm going to find every edge I can. I'm going to watch every single person's play style and make a mental note of it, of, of how I see someone playing. I'm going to watch every hand. I'm not going to just like fold my hand and tune out. I'm going to be as focused as I can possibly be because I only have eight chances this year. And and I'm sick of uh, bricking these preliminary events as I have in recent years. So I'm, I am I can't control the cards, but I'm going to do my best. And I, I'm still reeling from the bad mistake I made in the final hand of the no limit, you know, the, not the no limit, the, uh, well, I guess it is no limit, the uh, main event. I blew the final hand of the main event, made a really dumb play, dumb call at the end, bust my stack very deep in the event didn't cash came fairly close it's been, it's actually literally given me nightmares for the past year I've actually had nightmares about the main event of 2012 I'm not even kidding you so uh, I want to redeem myself I want to redeem myself from that uh, mistaken play I made I want to redeem myself from the heartbreaking losing four straight hands to bust from the 5k limit hold'em Last year, on the bubble. Now that wasn't through bad play. I actually played those very well, all four of those hands. I just uh, lost them. But uh, was that the one where you had um pocket aces? The one that gives you nightmares. <laughs> yes, yes, that was the, the pocket aces hand that gave me nightmares. Where I I, sh- I I just messed the whole hand up, just messed the whole thing up. And uh, to show you, it's amazing because I couldn't lay that down for some reason, even though it was so obvious to lay it down. And yet I was smart enough to lay down a set and not bust the previous year. In a spot that almost no one would have laid the set down. I laid the set down and was right. And and survived. And then in 2012, for some reason, I, I just had a lapse and called off with aces. I don't know what my problem was. But uh, I, I think I was just dealing with frustration. Because I, I had such a good start and then I just couldn't win a hand to save my life for the next two days. And that's the way tournament poker works, but... Uh, Anyway, and also I'll tell you, I had a whole series of frustration with both the, uh, the the bubbling and just the fact that I could not make a freaking flush draw almost the whole tournament. Every flush draw I, I had, I just missed. It was amazing. So um, I, I'm gonna just I'm not gonna let that stuff affect me this year. I, I'm not gonna let it affect me. And you know, when I won my bracelet eight years ago, the second day, when I went into the second day, it was only a two day event, two two very long days. They've since split it into three days. I told myself coming into day two that I'm going to just have like this laser beam focus on everything and, and super discipline, not do anything dumb, think out everything I do, stay out of any potentially bad spots. And there were a few spots where I almost did something wrong. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember what you promised yourself and folded my hand and it turned out like I, I avoided some real pitfalls there that would have killed me. And then I ended up winning. Like, I I was very proud of how I approached the second day of that tournament. And uh, I, I'm going to try to approach that the same way in all the events I play this year. So, maybe I'll still run bad and lose. But uh, I'm going to really, really put as much effort as I can into this. And Are someone, you going to be dishing out any Poker for the Lurk t-shirts or hats or anything to anyone? You know, every week, I, every week, every year I say I'm going to do it and then I don't. I guess there's only been two years of this site, but uh, the first year of this site, I said, oh yeah, I'm going to have all this stuff ready. I didn't have it. This year, I didn't have it. So, 
probably not. But uh, maybe I'll get some made at some point. I know we're still early in the series, but uh, I mean, I would like to. It's not really at achievements. I just haven't just haven't done it. But uh, you know, I want not only myself to win, but I I want my the people who buy pieces of me to win. I, I really want the people who have invested in me, especially ones have done so for a few years in a row, to see some good money. To say, wow, I'm, I'm really glad I invested in this guy. I, I don't want them to think they're investing in a has-been, who, who was good in 2005, but uh, can't hang anymore, eight years later. I, so, so you know, and this applies to you know, both the limit and the no-limit events. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's easier said than done. And uh, you know, something else I remember that I'm going to try to implement this year. I remember when I was commentating on the uh, main event, or not the main event, the, the $10,000 Limit Hold'em final table on ESPN 360 back in 2009. I remember watching them play, and I couldn't see any hole cards. I knew what everybody had. I, I said on the broadcast, this guy has this, this guy has that, and I was right most of the time. It, it was funny, like my dad who, you know, Knows enough about poker to follow it, but doesn't really understand the strategy that well. Uh, he told me afterwards, he said, wow, how did you know every time what they had? Could you see their cards? And I said, no, no, I just know from experience. And I realized that I was reading hands a hell of a lot better as a commentator than I usually do when I'm at the table playing. And I said, wow, if I could read hands this well as a commentator, you know, when I play the game as I did when I was commentating it, I, I, I think I'd be a better player. And... Uh, I said, there's no reason I can't. I'm the same person. I'm not having any more information. I just don't have the emotional connection to the hands. And um, I'm going to try to do that more this year, too. Is try to just cut out my emotional connection to the fact that I'm in the tournament and and just try to almost view it as a commentator. Try to view it as if I'm not the one playing the hand, but that I'm watching me and I'm watching two people play it, and one of whom I can see the whole cards, you know, being me, and, and trying to guess what the other guy has, but try to detach myself from it. I'm going to try that too, just from a psychological standpoint. So anyway, that, those are my plans for this year, and I, I hope it works out. Someone told me that in the chat room, have Ken Scaler rail you. Someone else said in the chat room, watch out, Norman Chad, <laughs> because of... Uh, mm-hmm. Of uh, <laughs> being able to see the you know commentate on it, uh, someone saying that uh, I'm going to be sporting a lock poker patch. No, but I will be sporting an Asian spa patch. I did promise that. Lou Father saying I'm going to do the play by play in my head. You know, I probably will. I better not say it out loud. I'll sound like a freak. Like, oh, seat number eight. Uh, Raising to 3,000, and we'll see now what uh, Dandruff does in seat two. Dandruff's deciding he's probably behind, he's going to fold. But no, really, I, uh, I, I'm i really going to try to detach myself as much as possible and, and play my best poker. And, uh, you know, if I feel I've done my best and the cards just don't fall, then, then so be it. I When I busted from the main event in 2010 in 88th, I thought I was gonna. I thought if I was ever in that spot, I'd just be like devastated. I wasn't even devastated. I walked out and said, "You know what? I played this whole thing really well, and I ran my short stack as far as I could run it. I ran this short stack for almost six full days, and made eighty-eighth out of seventy-three hundred people. And uh, of course, I'd like to still be in it. Of course, I'd like to have won that race, queens against ace king. But 
Um, I'm proud of how I played, and this was just bound to happen because I've had a short stack for so long. Eventually, it has to run out if you don't run it up. So, anyway, uh, Lou Father saying, "I heard the team spa patches are hella jank." Druff, is this true? This is all in the chat room, by the way. Well, they're not patches; they're stickers. The stickers themselves don't look bad, but they are stickers. I would have honestly preferred a real patch, but, you know, I'm happy to wear the sticker and call it a patch. All right. uh, Let's move on here. Next item on the agenda. I'm glad the uh, secret locations internet has stood up. I have to tell you, when I was loading up some YouTubes before the show started, the internet was not going so hot. And I was like, oh my god, this is going to be pretty bad. But it actually has worked out so far. A 2 plus 2 poster has shown up. Actually, not really shown up. He's been there for like three years. But a guy who's not really that well known on 2 plus 2 showed up into a thread and posted about a source he has, a co-worker, someone who used to work in Costa Rica for AP and UB. About five years ago, in 2008. This is what the guy wrote. I started a new job working with a fellow from Costa Rica. We got to talking and I found out that he worked for AP and UB for five years. He was in the consolidations department and also in withdrawals. Obviously, I grilled him all day with questions regarding Sirius. Sirius, of course, is the uh, new name of AP and UB when they combine. Uh, and this is what I came up with. I trust his answers 100%. He has absolutely no reason to lie to me. And here he uh, posted about uh, 14 different numbered points here. Number one. At one point, there were about 300 employees working in Costa Rica. Number two. Following Black Friday, employees w- were constantly let go. My coworker was one of the last few to leave. When it was all over, the owner and five other people stayed on for a few months to see if the traffic would increase. He believes the owner will start another poker company eventually. Now, I'm going to comment on each of these, actually, before I uh, go through them. And, of course, Nutty, you can as well. Uh, I do believe that there were probably 300 employees in Costa Rica. I never had that exact number, but I know they had a lot of people working at their peak. Uh, So I believe that. Number two, about the uh, letting people go after Black Friday, totally true. I heard from a lot of different sources that they were uh, cutting down to a skeleton staff there as they were making less and less money. Um, And and I don't know if the owner he's referring to is, I believe, Scott Tom. I don't think they're going to start another poker company. I think it's going to be too tough for them to do, especially in this environment. But uh, that's just this guy's opinion. I don't think it's going to ever happen. But I think they have plenty of money from AP, as you'll hear later in this post. They probably walked away with a ton, despite screwing all the players. Of course, that's not surprising from a guy who would steal from all the players directly by looking at their whole cards. Number three, how it worked was they had a number of bank accounts with a number of funds. He estimates the company was profiting between $400,000 and... One million dollars. Per day. One million per day? On AP and UB? Well, I'll tell you, I don't totally believe that. I, I think there's some confusion here. I think the bank account part was actually the most interesting part um, where they sort of insinuated that it was almost money laundering going into different people's accounts which were being paid 
that seemed to be the part which was most sort of relevant and I guess interesting compared to what has already been released. Yeah, he gets into a little bit more of that a little bit later, but um, I did find some evidence regarding how much they were making, and this was a uh, uh, Travis McCarr released a number of screenshots, and these screenshots got a lot less play than the tapes of Russ Hamilton and Greg Pearson did. So a lot of people haven't really seen all these screenshots, but I posted one of them in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness form uh, entitled 2 Plus 2 Poster Claims to Have a Source Who Once Worked for AP and UB. Uh, one of the screenshots, this is from Travis McCarr, was of the revenue of these sites on May 17th, 2008, May 18th, 2008. And it shows how much money they made in different ways. So here's an example from May 17th, 2008. They made $196,650 in just rake. They made $36,000 in sit-and-go rake. So when I said the 196, that was just rake from cash games. They made 13,296 from tournament rake. Then from blackjack, they made um, almost $43,000. And this is just all in one day. This adds up to about $280,000. Around there. 280, 290, whatever. Uh, then there's another column that says deposits. There were 4,480 deposits made on that day alone to Absolute Poker in the amount of 569,220. Now, this is where I think the confusion is arising. I do believe that every day that they were getting somewhere between 400K to $1 million in deposits to the site. But that's not what they were making. That was money that was coming in as deposits. What they're actually making in the various forms of rake and their blackjack combined was probably in the high 200,000 range, you know, 280, 290, whatever, around that time. So still a lot of money to be making per day with with pretty low overhead. But uh, that's what I think they were making. I, I don't believe they ever made a million, a million per day. I think they probably got a million of deposits in some days. They're better days on the site. Now, we'll get to what happened to those deposits shortly in this uh, post. Number four, the company would pay expenses from these accounts, and then the, all the profit would go to one of two banks in the owner's name. He mentioned one of them was in Ireland. This happened daily. So what he's basically saying was uh, um, money that would come in they, they would uh, pay the expenses, whatever expenses for the company, and then they would uh, move the money immediately into one of two bank accounts. And, and uh, I'll talk more about that in a second. Number five, when the DOJ seized the accounts, AP and UB opened new accounts. This was the first time when they started to limit withdrawals to a cap amount. However, the withdrawals were paid with new deposits only since the other money was gone. After this, the profit was again taken out and deposited into the owner's bank accounts. Now, this is a little confusing. Let me explain what he's trying to say. He says when the DOJ seized the accounts. Now, I'm not sure what he means by that. There there were a number of seizures of of payment processors' accounts even before Black Friday. So I'm not sure if he's talking about Black Friday or before that. Uh, AP and UB were already limiting withdrawals long before Black Friday. So it wasn't just from Black Friday that the, uh, the withdrawals were limited. Uh, but the important takeaway from this was that they were only paying withdrawals with new deposits only. So this is what I really believe was going on. And this is what I think the guy's trying to say but wasn't really getting it right. I believe that what was happening here, and this is the most eye-opening part for me, 
is that Scott, Tom, and friends were only paying withdrawals based upon new deposits. Now, back in 2008, 2007, and you know, before that, when they were getting a sick number of deposits, you know, you see on May 17, 2008, they were getting 569k in a day of deposits. As long as that's not going out in withdrawals, they can easily cover them. So I think for the entire time this company was running, AP and UB, I think they were only paying out withdrawals with deposits. And when I say with deposits, I don't mean old deposits they got from a year ago. I mean, whatever they're getting currently, that was what they would pay to withdrawals. And for quite some time, the deposits were far outpacing withdrawals, so it was no problem. So this is, this is what basically I think Scott Tom was doing. I think when you would deposit money into Absolute Poker, for example, let's say you deposited uh, $2,000 there, your balance on AP would show 2000 and to you it would all look fine. But in reality, where does your 2000 go? Well, the payment processor takes some chunk of it. But then the rest actually goes into the pockets of the owners. They, they just take your money. It's theirs. I mean, it still shows you have 2000 on the AP screen, but that money is now theirs. How do you ever get your money off? Well, when more people deposit, when it's time for you to withdraw, so let's say you run up your 2000 to 6000 and six months later, you decide to withdraw four thousand and leave yourself with the initial two thousand again. That four thousand dollars is being paid for by other deposits coming in, which means if those deposits had stopped coming in, if they went through say a month with no deposits, then they wouldn't be paying you. They wouldn't be reaching into their bank accounts to pay you. They were only paying people withdrawals for the entire time with new deposits coming in. So basically, they were stealing all the money and paying people out with new money that was coming in. Saying, if you ever want to get your money back that you just deposited to our site, you better hope that new deposits come in after yours because we're taking your money. And if ever the new deposits stop coming in, you're just never going to get it. And that's exactly what happened. So what this guy is saying here is that after Black Friday especially, when new deposits slowed to a crawl and everybody wanted to withdraw... At that point, they could have said, okay, well, we took all this money for ourselves. Let's put it back into the, uh, into the company and, and pay out these players. Instead, they said, oh, screw that. We are only going to let them withdraw equivalent to what comes in as new money. So if barely any new money comes in from deposits, then barely anyone gets to withdraw. And the way we will control that is by lowering the withdrawal limits for each player so low to where there's no way it can uh, outpace the deposits. And that's why they kept lowering the withdrawal limits, because the deposits were slowing and slowing. And uh, and then eventually the whole thing stopped and the company shut down. So uh, that's what they were doing the whole time. Even years and years before Black Friday. You just didn't notice because the deposits were coming in at such a rapid pace. So every time you deposited money to AP or UB, they just stole it. And the only way you got your money is if other suckers deposited after yours, and that was used to pay you. So that's pretty bad. And that's actually worse than I thought it was. And that's, that's what I was getting from this. Let's move on to number six. The company made a payment to the FBI five months before Black Friday. He believes this was a payoff of some sort. He estimates it was between one and two million. I don't believe it. I, I think the guy's confused. I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but I, I think he's confused. I, I don't believe the FBI was paid off with a bribe five months before Black Friday. 
uh, I, I guess anything's possible that some rogue FBI agent threatened them. Hey, you know, you pay me two million dollars, or I'm going to make sure you guys get busted. I, I guess it's possible that could have happened, but I, I don't see it. That's something you'd see on TV, but not as likely in real life. I think this guy's confused. Number seven. The money is gone. He believes no one will see a cent of their seized funds from AP or UB. I believe that. Um, what little is left from the liquidation of the company is going to go to other creditors. I don't think the players will ever get anything. Now, do you agree? Yeah, 100%. Uh, that money's gone and it's never coming back. Yeah. Number eight. The FBI operated as a payment processor called Linwood, which is true. This is how they were able to seize accounts on Black Friday after one to two years of monitoring and filing banking account information. Well, I mean, that's sort of true. They went after sites like True Poker and Doyle's Room and some sports books, thanks to Linwood. Uh, basically, the, Linwood was a fake payment processor. But they, they actually did process payments. That's what's so funny. Is, like, if you played on True Poker or Doyle's Room, your, your uh, U.S. payments were probably made by the government at some point. The government was a payment processor, and they were a payment processor so they could get close to some of these offshore gambling companies and then bust them. So they actually really did process illegal payments uh, while they were an undercover payment processing company, this Linwood. Linwood was the government. Uh, We never had any evidence up until now that AP ever used Linwood, and uh, I don't know if I believe they ever did. This guy's claiming they did, but this sounds like an excuse. Not, not that he's looking to really make excuses for AP, but it kind of sounds like there's a lot of rhetoric in here like the DOJ seized accounts, the FBI, this is how they were able to seize the money, et cetera, et cetera. First of all, there's very little money to seize after Black Friday. Uh, AP was broke because Scott Tom and friends had looted all the money from the company. But uh, beyond that, there was nothing in the Linwood indictments that mentioned AP. I don't believe it. I don't believe Linwood was ever used by AP. I think this is just one of the excuses as to where the player money went, which is kind of strange that the guy would say this when he's admitting in other parts that uh, the owners were stealing it. But I, I think he's combining it. I think he. I think the owners probably fed that rhetoric to the employees and he bought it. I don't think this guy was lying. When I say this guy, I mean the source that told the poster this. I don't mean the poster himself is lying. But I don't, I don't even think the source is lying. I think the source was told this when he was working there, and it just wasn't true. I don't believe AP ever used Linwood. There's just no evidence to support that, and it doesn't make sense. There's no there's no reason AP would not have been named by the Linwood thing, which actually occurred after Black Friday. There's no reason not to name him. Uh, number nine. He met Phil Helmuth in Costa Rica on three occasions. Phil was paid a lot to play on the site and all of his tournaments and travel was sponsored by the company. He does not believe he was involved in the cheating. I agree with that. But I do believe that uh, Phil was willfully ignorant to the cheating and to the cover-up and just kind of didn't want to know about it so he could keep collecting his paycheck. Number 10, the owner lived in Costa Rica. The owner he's referring to is Scott Tom. But had many houses, some in Europe. The CEO was a different person and lived in the U.S., the owner was 30 to 32 years old with a super hot wife. I believe this is Scott Tom, but he could, could not remember his name. Yeah, I'm sure he's referring to Scott Tom. And yeah, I, I've seen pictures of, of uh, the wives of uh, the AP owners. They, they are pretty hot. But I also heard, and this is from an inside AP source who told me this uh, during the initial AP scandal in 2007. This inside source told me that despite the hotness 
of the wives of Scott Tom and Oscar Hill Tatum and the others, they cheated on them. So I guess no matter how hot your wife is, if you're uh, a rich and powerful scumbag, you always want to cheat on her anyway. I guess if you're going to cheat people with super using, it's not a stretch to think you're going to cheat on your wife, too. Number 11. Those working in various departments had no idea about the cheating until the story broke. And he believes the company paid all the outstanding debt they owed to players. He was qu- he quoted $1.9 million, but I thought it was more. Now, he's referring to AP, I believe. Uh, UB, of course, was way, way more than $1.9 million. Uh, AP claimed that they paid $1.6 million. I believe that AP actually paid me all the money they cheated me, because it was only over a short period of time, and it was pretty clear when I was being cheated and when I wasn't. Though there are people like China Maniac who repeatedly requested their hand histories from AP and were never given them. So you have to think maybe there was a cover-up for certain people who got cheated there. It's also possible that they uh, just deleted the hand histories to uh, cover up whatever, and that uh, they just couldn't provide them because they just deleted them to cover all the evidence. But in reality, uh, you know, I don't know if China Maniac was cheated or not. I'm sure he was on AP uh, on UB because I was cheated on UB. I, the UB cheating went on for so many years. I mean, everybody was cheated there, including China Maniac, I'm sure, and I, and I was too. But um, AP, it was a very short period of time, and it was only a few accounts, and they, they were so blatant about it, it, w- it was hard to miss those accounts. So, like, I played Greg had heads up. He took 6K from me heads up. He took, like, another 9K from me in ring games. And it was obvious. And that's what he took 15K from me, and I got paid back about 15K. I think they gave, like, a 10% bonus above that or whatever. But uh, anyway, he says he thinks they paid back all the AP cheating money. I might believe that. But definitely UB, they uh, they didn't pay it all back, and AP wouldn't have paid it all back if it was a lot more than 1.6 million. But also, it's possible that they uh, they didn't pay all the AP money back, and I just happened to get all my AP cheating money back. But maybe there was additional cheating that uh, also occurred that just wasn't uh, as blatant. Uh, Nutty, what what is your opinion of that? Well, that's one part actually where I think I disagree with you. I'd be surprised if everyone got paid back the full amount. Um, I think they probably paid back what they felt they had to pay back based on any potential evidence. Um, but I, I think it's probably um, similar to UB in the sense that um, they haven't paid out the full amount, but probably to a lesser extent. Well, okay, I mean, that's possible, but uh, the AP cheating was really, really, really obvious. I mean, it was... Uh, it hit you like a ton of bricks. So like, like we couldn't believe the way Grey Cat was playing. And and of course, there was the infamous uh, ten high pot ripper call. Ten high, no pair, no draw. Um, yeah, I remember that one. So, so like uh, these cheaters were terrible cheaters. And and so, do you really believe that there was some kind of subtle cheating also going on before that that nobody knew about? Well, I just have to assume that the only reason that money had been paid out in the first place was because they were caught. Oh yeah. In any situation when. Um, you get caught, uh, as UB has shown, uh, you, you sort of try to cover your back as much as you can, uh, and by, by whatever means you can. So just based on that logic, uh, and going on the pretense that a lot of people won't necessarily complain because it wasn't you know, technically legal in the States, so therefore they know that they've got no sort of right to address it. And yeah. that makes me a little bit suspicious, but I don't know. Well, it is possible, though, I'm, I'm sure what they did, though, is people who didn't ever collect back their money that they were paid back, that never logged back in, never knew about it, changed emails, whatever, 
Uh, I'm sure they took that money back. I'm sure they didn't uh, bend over backwards to contact those people. In fact, UB was said to do that. That UB was said to take back any money that wasn't claimed after six months. So I, I don't think it was probably all claimed back. But uh, I, I always got the impression I, I pay, they, were, they cheated so stupidly and so blatantly and were caught so quickly that uh, I, I think the damage just wasn't that high. And I think in that one, they probably did pay it back because there was just a few accounts that did it. And it was obvious who, who played in it. And they just said, screw it. It's only 1.6 million. We'll pay it. Uh, where and, you, know, you saw how much they were making per day there. They could easily pay it. You know, they make that back in a week. Uh, UB... The cheating was tens of millions of dollars, and that that they were trying to, as you heard on those tapes, uh, cover up as much as possible, pay as little as possible, and uh, get out of as, as much as possible. Uh, I, I just think on AP because it got caught so quickly, that that's why they were willing to pay, not because they were great guys or uh, or, or felt that they needed to. I, and of course, they would have paid nothing. In fact, they tried to cover it up for quite some time. They didn't just say, "Oh yeah, you caught us." I mean, they 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 floated so many lies out there for months. And really, until the uh, that spreadsheet came out that uh, Nat Aram analyzed and found that it traced back to Scott Tom himself, uh, they were owning up to nothing. So, and they still I mean, never. Nothing really surprises me in the poker world. I mean, when you've got situations like Russ Hamilton being stupid enough to record his own sort of, uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of, you know, that, that you, you've got Prada Freeman naive enough to sign up to UB after all these sort of shenanigans and preaching that he does. I mean, the only thing I can be assured of is that if Ultimate Bet had offered Michael £1 million for a contract, he would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so uh, number sorry, 12. Sorry. Number 12. They paid people in the US and Canada and probably Europe to open bank accounts and act as rerouting payment processors. They would start small, say 50K, and then when trust was gained, they would increase the amounts. Some of these clients were getting deposits in the millions in their personal bank accounts, and then the company would use these accounts to process withdrawals and sometimes deposits. These pe- the people who own these accounts were paid a percentage to use their accounts. I mean, this is typical, like, small-time payment processing stuff. That's All, all the sites were doing crap like this. There's no- nothing that interesting there. Number 13. Many of the staff that got canned after Black Friday are now working for Poker Stars in Full Tilt. Some of them he knows personally. Well, I, I think that's possible, but you know, if these if this staff did not know about the cheating as it was going on, then I, I don't care about that. And I, I don't believe, you know, Scott Tom went around and said, Hey guys, guess what? I'm I'm cheating all the players and I don't think Russ Hamilton did that either. I think that most people at these companies were in the dark. The only people I blame are the ones who did it, the ones who helped cover it up. Uh, the ones who remained willfully ignorant. I, I don't blame the uh, random customer service rep for happening to be at the company at the time this occurred. Uh, and, and I even don't even blame the ones that much who were told to give a line, like, you know, just told to say something and didn't bother to go investigate it. I mean, you know, these guys are hired in Costa Rica. They're, they're you know, they're probably paid better than they would get paid most of their jobs there. They're told to say such and such. They really don't have any knowledge into anything. They don't have that much visibility. So I don't blame them that much as long as they weren't like actively part of the cheating or the cover-up. So if they went on to work for some other company, fine. But if they were any part of the cover-up or the cheating itself, then that bothers me. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I just think that they just... It's just going to go on and on and on and on and on. I mean, the source itself, I'm sceptical about what he said. Um, 
because it is all third-hand information. One thing I am certain about is that people like Hayley Eleven uh, Grover would have tried to contact him and then provide some kind of verification. And I think until that happens, I'm sort of sceptical. So you think this guy may just be making this all up? I don't think he's making it up, but um, I think he's hearing it from someone who might be being a little bit elaborate with the truth or thinks he knows more than what he actually does know. Yeah, I, I think that too. I think that this guy, um, yeah, he probably did work. I think he really is in contact with someone who worked there in the payment processing department or whatever it was at AP and, and customer service and, and did have connections to the information, but that the guy is mixing up fact with some stories he heard, like this whole thing about the FBI payoff and, uh, and Linwood processing for them, like stuff like that. I think that is just wrong and he heard it wrong and now is repeating it as fact. That's, that's my opinion about this, that this guy does have some good information. And I actually believe the part that uh, Scott, Tom, and friends were just taking the deposit money, putting it in on their their own bank accounts, and using the new deposits to cover whatever current withdrawals there were. That totally sounds like them. What has a, a surprised me is why this has had to come through the poster as opposed to the person himself, because this has been on in all the different forums. You know, it's, it's blown up, so everyone knows about it. So would that person really want to talk to someone who then passes it on, that's third-hand information, or why didn't they actually just want to post themselves? Well, that, so this guy was explaining that the reason this happened was that this guy was not looking to go public with it, that they were just making conversation, and that this guy didn't realize he was a 2 plus 2 poster, and you know that he was going to go run into the internet and post it. Like he, he's saying, this guy doesn't realize I'm even posting this here. He doesn't read these forums, he doesn't know, we were just making conversation, and it's like, oh, okay, so... so all right, so uh, then this, and then what happened, and uh, so where did that money go, and you know what, why were the withdrawals uh, restricted? And like the guy just is spilling his guts there, thinking he's just telling a coworker and making conversation, and doesn't realize that he's uh, talking to someone who's going to report it back to two plus two. That's that's what the poster is trying to say, and he's the poster. Yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible, but um, th- th- there's more to it than meets the eye. I think. Yeah, there, there probably is, and uh, I, I maybe we'll find out in the coming days, and maybe we won't. But you know, people are interested in this. I think the most interesting thing, and the thing I really didn't know, I mean, of course I knew Scott, Tom, and the fr- and friends there stole the money from AP. You know, what gets lost, a lot of people know, you know, talk about Full Tilt all the time, that Full Tilt took our money, and they did. And people talk about the super using on UB and AP, and that happened. But what people barely talk about is the fact that AP and UB did the same thing that Full Tilt did, that they took all the deposit money for themselves. And then when there was the run on the bank, they couldn't pay anyone and they were broke. And so they stole the same way Full Tilt did, just they don't get attention for that because uh, the scandal before that was so big that uh, no one was surprised. And the Full Tilt thing was so much bigger and so much more surprising that everyone talks about that and not UB. But uh, so that by itself wasn't surprising, but the surprising thing to me here was that it seems like the whole time they were operating this way, the whole time they were just stealing all the money and counting on new deposits to just cover whatever withdrawals are coming in. And, and with, with the belief that if the new deposits ever stopped, then, oh, well, the jig is up, nobody gets paid. And that's, uh, that seems to be the way, the way they operated there, which makes them look extra scummy, that they were basically stealing the whole time. Mm. So, all right, uh, moving to the next topic here. On our agenda. Talk a little bit about the iPoker network. 
The iPoker Network is a non-U.S. facing network. You have not been able to play on that network since the UIGEA was passed in late 2006. If you're a U.S. player, or if you're even a foreign player who is currently in the U.S., such as when you're visiting for the World Series. However, the iPoker network has been fairly popular with people who are sneaking onto the network from the U.S., and that's because the games are pretty good there. The games are uh, easier there, from what I hear, than on sites like PokerStars and Full Tilt, where you have a lot of tough players. So uh, a lot of... And also, I guess the security wasn't as good. It was easier to sneak on there. You know, poker stars, they're always pretty much on the ball, and it's hard to get anything by them. iPoker, not so much. So uh, iPoker has been clamping down on sites that have allowed either Americans or non-Americans that are residing in America to play on those on the network because they, they don't want to get in trouble. You know, they're out of the American market for a reason. Not because they want to be, but because they, they feel they have to be or they're going to get the Department of Justice on their ass. So others are even claiming they want Americans off the site because the Americans that are sneaking on there are typically the winning players, the grinders, and that uh, they feel it's bad for their poker economy anyway to have players like that. So it's not even like they want the business of the grinders who are uh, you know, just there to beat the fish. Uh, like American fish are not going to sneak onto the iPoker network, and I, you know, I agree with that. So uh, they're mainly targeting right now a an affiliate that's known as Poker VIP or iPoker VIP. Now, it's known under two names because supposedly iPoker forced iPoker VIP to change their name so there wasn't confusion because they're two totally different companies. iPoker is the network. iPoker VIP was an affiliate that just stole the name iPoker, you know, so to get more customers. But in reality, it's a totally different company. Uh, so they're known as Poker VIP or iPoker VIP. iPoker is very suspicious that affiliates through iPoker VIP uh, are a lot of them are Americans playing on there secretly and that Poker VIP is offering secret rakeback deals that are above and beyond what the network allows. See, when a bunch of sites get together on the same network uh, what that means is that all the players are playing each other, even if they're playing through different sites. The, the, the different sites that feed into the network are called skins. And, uh, you know, if you're on uh, one site that's a skin, you're like site A, and uh, someone's playing on another site that's site B, and they're both part of the same network, you'll be sitting at the same table, and you'll all appear to be at the same site, but in reality all fed in from different sites. Those are called skins. Uh, the skins all choose what rakeback they want to give, and uh, the problem is they start to undercut each other, and they do something called poaching, where, uh, you know, let's say one skin is offering 35% rake back, the other one says, well, if you come over to my skin, I'll give you 40% rake back. So, of course, the player wants the best rake back possible, so the player leaves and goes to the higher rake back, and then another one comes along and says, hey, I'll give you 45% rake back, and then people leave the one with 40 and go to the 45. And, and as you can imagine, this is very bad for the health of the network, because, uh, you know, the rake starts to be given back to the player more and more, and uh, skins start to fail when others are poaching. So in order to stop the poaching, what these networks do is they establish a maximum rake back that's allowed. And even if you feel your skin can afford to give more than that and still be profitable, you're not allowed to, or you can get kicked off the network. So uh, what happens is, to circumvent this, some of these affiliates 
with the cooperation of certain skins, or sometimes not without, sometimes without their cooperation, they give secret rakeback deals. Now, this is how they do it. Uh, let's say a skin has uh, is allowed to give a maximum of forty percent rakeback, and let's say the skin tries to keep to that rule. Well, the affiliate they get something additional. Is the affiliate has to get their part. The affiliate is like the the third party that sends people over to that skin. So you let's say you're running a site um, myaffiliate.com, and on your myaffiliate.com site you have a, a banner for a skin that feeds into Lock Poker. So someone clicks on that, they sign up to that skin. Well, now you're going to get a commission. So whenever a dollar is paid in rake, some of it goes to the, the iPoker network, some of it goes to the skin, and some of it goes to the affiliate. And, um, and of course, some of it goes to the player, it's the rake back. So the affiliate, let's say the affiliate is getting 10% of all the rake. The affiliate may say, hey, maybe I'll kick back some of that 10% rake back to the player. So what iPoker, or what uh, Poker VIP was accused of doing, was doing this secret rake back where they were uh, giving extra to the player under the table and then poaching players from other skins and contacting players who play at other skins very actively and saying, hey, come over to our skin, come over to this skin through our affiliate program and we'll give you an extra you know, 5%, 10% under the table and we'll do it by transferring money player-to-player transfer over to your account from our account. So your official rakeback will be the normal rakeback, but then we'll give you some extra in a, in a player transfer. And that's very common, the way the secret rakeback is done. It's against the network rules, but it's done that way. Well, Poker VIP was supposedly one of the worst offenders of this. But not only were they a bad offender with this, but supposedly that they were so cutthroat that they would find other uh, affiliates that were doing this and reporting them. (laughs) They were reporting affiliates that were doing the same thing they were and getting them in trouble so they wouldn't be the competition anymore. Um, This is similar to like a drug dealer calling up the police and say, hey, you better look into this guy. He's dealing drugs just to get his competition out of the way. That's pretty much what uh, Poker VIP was accused of doing to the other affiliates. The other affiliates hated them. And, and the way they would do this is they would get players out. They would, they would send out what they call spy players who would uh, contact affiliates that are known to give secret rake back and say, hey, I heard you give secret rake back. Can you give it for me? I'm a, you know, I'm a big grinder. And then the affiliate would agree. And then once they'd collect the evidence, the spy player would, you know, would hand it back to uh, Poker VIP, who would then report it to iPoker and get, get the affiliate in trouble or get them kicked off. So uh, people hated them. Uh, iPoker actually finally disabled player-to-player transfers to stop this earlier this month. But um, they were also getting frustrated, iPoker, that Poker VIP was supposedly sneaking Americans onto the network. And the way they would often do this would be uh, setting them up with phony details. And then when it came time to cash out, which is, of course, the big problem. I mean, you can always, uh, make, you know, you can always uh, get an American on there, but how does he cash out if he doesn't have a European bank account? Well, what they would do is something we call backdoor cash out. So backdoor cash out is where you just subtract money from the person's account and then pay them separately. So instead of them going through the normal... Uh, cash out routine through the network uh, the skin just subtracts money from the player's account and then the skin or the affiliate just pays the player directly so it's going as a backdoor cash out so that's the way that they were cashing out the Americans uh, there actually have been Americans that have uh, come forward to people I know I'm not going to name who they are but uh, Americans that have admitted to people who I know that they were getting backdoor cash outs through poker VIP
and that they were playing on the iPoker network through Poker VIP as an affiliate, that they were Americans, and they were doing this through these backdoor cash outs, and they were getting secret rake back. So uh, what iPoker has done is, is, in addition to disabling their transfers, sent out the following letter to all skins that have Poker VIP as an affiliate. May 16, 2013, it says, without prejudice. So I guess this means this went out to anyone, whether they're black, white, or Asian. No, I'm just kidding. It's kind of funny to put that there, though. Without prejudice. To iPoker.com licensees and cardroom managers. Dear Sir slash Madame. That's very formal. Oh, this is a formal letter of notice to take immediate effect. In order to confirm that poker accounts are not coming from any banned territory... The following must be adhered to by all iPoker.com card rooms. Number one, all Poker VIP affiliate accounts, no KYC, which is known as Know Your Customer Verification, must be completed and communicated to iPoker as requested. Number two, by the end of May 20th, 2013, any account that has not been confirmed will get frozen by iPoker. Thank you for your cooperation. Sincerely, the iPoker Policy Enforcement Team. So basically, they're saying that anyone who's signed up through iPoker VIP has to go through the KYC verification, which stands for Know Your Customer Verification, which is like a a pretty stringent verification process to prove that all the people who have accounts on there are who they say they are, meaning you know sending in uh, utility bills, bank account statements, whatever, to prove that they are who they say they are. So so this way, accounts that are on this network named uh, John Smith from uh, you know, London, England, uh, that John Smith in London, England really exists and is really playing there and is not just a phony name that's, uh, you know, put up there for an American who's going to just do backdoor cash outs to get his money. So uh, they're saying you have to either show us the verification, the stringent verification that all your players are real or otherwise we're suspending their accounts. And this is only aimed at players who signed up through iPoker VIP. And this, they had four days to get it done, not very long. And uh, May 20th, supposedly these accounts were frozen. So uh, if you were playing through Poker VIP, you probably had your account frozen. You're in trouble. Uh, what happens if it gets frozen and you're American? I don't know. They probably just take the money. I don't know. In semi-related news, Muchos Poker, which is kind of a weird affiliate that allows you to play across several networks using a single account, kind of some weird thing they're doing, they were also allowing Americans to play on iPoker. They were kicked off of iPoker on May 10th. However, it was more of a friendly kickoff where um, Mutro's Poker was allowed to uh, uh, basically uh, let people cash out and be done with it. They were allowed to withdraw even if they were playing uh, under circumstances where they weren't supposed to be there as long as they weren't uh, colluding or you know, committing some kind of fraud. And Mucho's Poker will be let back on the network if they cooperate with everything. So that's not as big of a deal. But um, I, I think the hammer is finally falling on Poker VIP. And I think partially because iPoker is just sick of them. They're, they're sick of all the shenanigans I described. And, uh, uh, you know, the moral of the story, because of course, if you're a member of iPoker VIP, uh, if you're part of that affiliate network, you, you've probably already had the hammer fall on May 20th. So it's not like you can go back in time and not be part of this anymore. But. Uh, when you're with some of these really shady affiliates, 
you know, you know the saying, if you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. I mean, that's what's happening here. If you have an affiliate that shamelessly poaches from other affiliates, if you have an affiliate that's very happy to do whatever they can to break the rules and screw others, even if it doesn't hurt you personally, even if it helps you personally, you can't be, surpri- you can't be surprised when you're the one who gets screwed in the long run. So you have to watch out who you do business with. And uh, this is definitely a case for that. So iPoker is clamping down. They've kicked off Mucho's Poker. They're doing this uh, know-your-customer verification to everybody who signed up through iPoker VIP. And they also kicked off uh, more gaming last year for letting people play on the network from the U.S., supposedly, from the, when they were you know, at the World Series. So iPoker is really starting to clamp down on players. So if, if you're an American playing on iPoker, I would advise getting off immediately. Get your money out, get off, because I, I think it's a matter of time before they clamp down on you. And if you think you know what the whole the whole gambling issue in America just I can't express how um, alien it is to someone like myself. I mean, one that the online poker, the fact that you can't even do it legally is just you know astonishing. But I remember even the first time I went to America and I went to Miami, and um, it was only then I discovered that you don't even have things like bookmakers or anything like that, um, and it's just. For us, it's like a rite of passage. When you're born, you end up learning to gamble. And even where I live now, for example, there's three bookies just down my street. Yeah, these bookies and you pay- have down the street, are they legal bookies? Are they like the American bookies that are like you know, shady? Or are these like just legal bookies who... Uh... No, 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 it's just, legal, it's just normal bookies. Down my street, I'll have a Ladbrokes, I'll have a William Hill. Oh, I see, and I've got okay. A bet there. Yeah, okay. And you just go in there and you bet on horses and you bet on this and the other. Yeah, it's and a different culture. Yeah, and it's just it's just weird, and like even playing poker, it's just so so strange because it's just not an issue over here one bit. It's just crazy that people just don't understand why you wouldn't even be allowed to. It's, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing here in this country. There's a lot of hypocrisy as far as gambling goes. Um, a, a lot of people who are gambling opponents claim to be doing it based upon moral reasoning, but but it's very flimsy because. There's certain types of gambling that are allowed here, and certain not. And like, it, it's ridiculous that you can gamble in Nevada, and in parts of New Jersey, or and then in Indian reservations and many other states, but you can't elsewhere. Um, you, you can gamble. You can play poker in brick and mortar casinos, but uh, you can't play poker online, uh, except if you're in Nevada now, I guess. Uh, you, you can bet on sports in Nevada, but you can't anywhere else, and you can't do it online. Uh, you can play the lottery, which has horrible odds in, in so many states, but you can't do gambling in the rest of these states. Uh, it, it, there, there's so many different contradictory gambling policies in the United States. Uh, it, it's just outrageous. I, I would actually have more respect for it if the U.S. took the position of we just don't like gambling for the following reasons. We think gambling is destructive for the following reasons. We don't want to allow gambling in this country for the following reasons. I wouldn't agree with it. I would hate it. But at least I could respect that uh, it's consistent. But there's no consistency here. It's, it's, it's a joke. Like, and it's amazing to watch the way these laws are, are written and the way that they are abused and the way that the loopholes are found. Like, you'll have it where like, riverboat gambling is allowed. And so, okay, uh, so there's no gambling allowed on land, but if you're on a boat that's on the river, then you can gamble. 
But then, the, then it's extended to where the boat doesn't actually have to sail anywhere. It can just sit on the dock, and you can still play. Well, then it becomes, it doesn't have to be a boat. Then it can just be, as long as you're within such and such distance from the dock, then, then you're considered a boat, and you can still have gambling if you're not in the water. Uh, then it becomes, uh, well, as long as you're within two miles of the shore, then you can get, it's just so crazy. And this is what enables, for example, like, there's casinos in New Orleans, that are, uh, you know, not boats. They're just, you know, standard brick-and-mortar casinos. But because they were a certain distance from the water, I, I don't know if the laws have changed since I was last there. I was there, like, over ten years ago. But since they were a certain distance from the water, the water they were legal, where otherwise they wouldn't have been. It was just, it was just so stupid and so arbitrary. And, uh, you know, I, I think the way it should be done is that they should make gambling of all forms legal in the United States and then leave it up to whatever locality, whether it's the state government, the county government, the city government, to say whether they want it or not. And this way, if you don't like the way the locality rules on it, you can move. So, and th- this solves everything. This stops, you know, this way, if you don't want a casino, a, a, a glittering casino in your neighborhood, you don't want to live by that. You're not forced to. You can live in a city that doesn't allow casinos in the neighborhood. Or you, or if you if you want to be in a place that doesn't allow any online gambling, you, you don't want your kids exposed to that, whatever, you can go live in that place. Uh, but but at the same time, um, you, know, you could move to the city down the road or 30 miles away or wherever you need to go if you want to have that freedom to do it. But it's just, right now, it's just so crazy, so arbitrary... Uh, you can only gamble, gamble on Indian reservations, uh, but uh, not outside the reservation. But even on the Indian reservation, you can't do sports betting. I mean, it's just so nutty. It's just so crazy. Uh, it's, no offense, nutty here. I don't mean like you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it just it's so inconsistent and so stupid. And you can't even argue it from a moral standpoint anymore because there's so many forms of legal gambling that are allowed and others that aren't. And it's totally arbitrary. It's just time to legalize the whole thing on a federal level. And let each state and local government decide on their own what they want to do, and then let people move where they want to move according to uh, you know whether they want gambling, they want access to it where they are, whether it's online or brick and mortar. Let, let the local and state governments handle it. That's that's the way it should be, and uh, I, I think it'll take care of itself from that point. Uh, so yeah, I, I can totally understand how someone outside the U.S. is perplexed with what's going on over here. And, uh, and yeah, I th- it is. It's, um, it's, it's an eye opener because, like I say, when I went to Miami for the first time, um, that was one of the first things I looked for was a bookies to just make a couple of bets on the horses. Um, and then I obviously found out that you had to be in Nevada and all the other intricacies. And it was like, wow, it's America. <laughs> yeah, it, there you go. It, it's so weird too. Like, um, I think at the Indian casinos, they're not allowed to serve you alcohol while you're gambling. It's like something weird. Like they can't comp alcohol. Like, what, what, what kind of rule is that? Like, well, why even have that? Like, it's so strange. Like, you can there's you can have slot machines and blackjack at these Indian casinos, but you can't have sports betting. I mean, it's just nuts. Either you can gamble or you can't. Why? Why all these weird restrictions? Why are these? You know, you can do this in some places, you can't do this in other places. This casino can offer these games, but not those games. It, it, it's absolutely crazy, and I, I can only imagine how this looks to the rest of the world. And you know, this is something that's going to change. It's going to take some time, but it's something that's going to change. And I think 
you know, when my son Benjamin is an adult, when he's old enough to gamble in uh, in 19 years, uh, he will not have experienced any of this. He will probably be able to log online and bet on whatever the hell he wants through a reputable company like Caesars or, or MGM or whatever, and, and he won't have any memory of, of uh, this whole situation. He'll probably have heard of it, especially from me, but but he will not have... You know, he won't have any memory of it And, and you know, people like him will look back as adults And say this is so stupid I can't believe people lived like that back in 2013 But uh, mm. that, that's it, It's one of these things that's getting Kind of ironed out But very slowly And uh, now I, I At the same time I don't think the solution is just to Allow these poorly regulated Companies to offer Games I, I can totally see why the government Doesn't want the UBs of the world to offer games to Americans with, with no pretty much no consequence that they cheat people. So I, I'm fully uh, in support of a licensing and regulatory program that shuts out uh, foreign companies or anyone that the U.S. cannot touch. I, I don't have a problem with the U.S. saying you can't bet online, you can't offer these games to Americans if you're not in America and you don't get a license here. And the reason for that is because the U.S. has to have some power to put a consequence upon those who don't act right and who cheat people. And uh, the only way you can enact these consequences upon these bad actors is if they are within your jurisdiction. So I, I support that. People are saying, oh, Black Friday is so terrible. Look what they did to Poker Stars. Look what they did to Full Tilda. Look, you have to have control over the situation. The U.S. had no control over the situation. If there is going to be legalized online gambling in the U.S., I agree there has to be some control. Or otherwise, we have the chaos we have today. That's why we have Poker Fraud Alert Radio every week, because there is so much fraud. There's so much scamming. And there's so many scandals. There's a, I mean, forget the individuals like, like Chino Ream. We, we have Lock Poker we talk about every week. I have all these different sites I keep talking about that cheat people. This shouldn't be happening. And when it does happen, there should be consequences for people go to jail, and nobody does go to jail. And they get away with it. So that does have to stop. And that's the, the answer is regulation, and uh, only the regulated companies should be the ones allowed to do business with Americans. And I, I, I agree with that. I, I, just, uh, I, I just think right now the whole situation with the, the legal environment in the U.S. is ridiculous, as you said. So let's... Um, Move on here to the uh, the next topic. Um, Mike Caro. Haven't heard much about him recently, but uh, Mike Caro has uh, thrust himself back into the news with, with an odd article. I'm gonna read this here. You can find this in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum, and uh, this was actually pointed out by a new user here who's actually banned from Two Plus Two recently. Three ounce Bacardi. And uh, he brought this to our attention. This is on uh, PokerPlayerNewspaper.com. Mike Caro, today's word is protection. This is what Mike Caro wrote on May 13th. Remember, Mike Caro was the face of Planet Poker back in the late 90s and early 2000s, the first online poker site. Time to go public. My behind-the-scenes campaign to protect internet poker has failed. This is already strange. Mike Caro, who's been pretty much a ghost from online poker since Planet Poker went down many years ago, uh, is now claiming that behind-the-scenes he's been trying to protect internet poker, which I don't believe. 
I have developed proprietary methods of detecting online cheating, including partnerships. Unfortunately, while my efforts have often been met with intense encouragement from top management, they have been sabotaged by unknown entities. Something is terribly wrong. He calls himself the mad genius of poker. He already sounds pretty mad here. And I don't mean angry. I mean, he sounds... He, he sounds like a nutcase writing this stuff. Uh, his efforts have been often met with intense encouragement from top management. Top management where? And sabotaged by unknown entities? How is he getting sabotaged? It doesn't even make sense. I'm convinced there are many online poker site owners and managers who care about the integrity of the game, and today I'm going to address them heart to heart. Quite simply, the recent history of online poker has been susceptible to cheating, all kinds of cheating. I believe that cheating is so rampant that many honest players with superior skills have no chance whatsoever of winning online. And before you dismiss my comments as being wild speculation, you should know this. Well, I am dismissing his comments. I, I Yes, cheating has been going on ever since online poker came to exist. And I don't just mean super user type cheating. I mean, you know, collusion, stuff like that. Uh... There have been a few well-known collusion and multi-accounting scandals. You know, the Z. Justin scandal, the, uh, what was that guy, the one who played a, a black car on Party Poker, I forgot that guy's name, whatever. There was that, there's a stock trader thing. So, of course, there was a, a lot of collusion and multi-accounting over the years that was caught, but uh, I've never felt that it was so rampant to where you couldn't win, to where if you lost, you could realistically blame your long-term losses on collusion and cheating. I just never saw it to that extent in online poker. And some people say, oh, maybe you didn't know. Maybe you were still winning, but you weren't winning as much thanks to all the cheating. That's possible. But I have a pretty good feel for this, and I just wasn't getting it. I I just wasn't seeing that it was that much of a widespread problem. Uh, how do you feel about that? Before I go on here, Nutty, how do you feel about the uh, the accusation that there's a widespread uh, cheating and collusion in online poker? I don't think that's a, a bigger deal. Uh, a bigger deal is what nobody's making out. Um, you've obviously got the scams which everyone knows about, but I generally think that um, it's pretty clean. And if there is any collusion that takes place, most of the time you can sort of spot it. I mean. Generally, how paranoid do you want to be? Yeah, you, and, you got, and right. There's always there's always a risk, but I think you got to take that risk risk in moderation. I mean, if you sit down in the olden days and um, you suddenly look at the table and there's seven people and they're all from Russia and you're the only English guy, well, I'm probably not going to sit down on that table. Yeah, but, and, and and you know th- you're right that live there is also cheating and collusion. I, I saw it at Commerce. I see it at Bellagio. Um, for example, two friends who, uh, you know, one raises, um, you know, I'm in the pot two, the third one's in, I fold the flop, and then they go check, 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 check down, and you see one has, like, top set, and the other one has two pair. And, and they mm-hmm. check down just because I was out of the hand, and then they're friends, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to win money from each other. And, uh, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, it's their right to play the way they want once other people are out of the hand, provided they both had real hands and they weren't forcing me out. But at the same time, that's not fair. That's not fair that they know that once I'm out that they're not risking any money. And um, I see this all the time. And, and the only reason I haven't really complained when I see it is because I know if I do complain, uh, number one, you know, they're going to they're gonna hate me. And, but the bigger problem is I know that they'll just 
pass the money back, whatever gets won between each other uh, later on. It'll be the same thing. So it just sucks knowing that I know these two are soft playing each other, and there's nothing I can do. Even if I complain and, and get them to stop, uh, they can just take care of it later. So uh, there's, I'm sure there's been a lot of cheating and collusion online. I've, I, I, and, and just like I, there has been online, I, just like there's been live is what I'm saying. But I don't think it's so rampant to where it, it's a serious, serious problem in the game to where you pretty much feel like, you know, the way he put it, you have no chance whatsoever of winning because it's just going on so much. Uh, do I believe I've played with people who maybe share whole cards? Like if, if a guy folds uh, ace-jack pre-flop and, and he tells uh, his buddy who's playing at the same table on you know through a messenger, hey, I just folded ace-jack, and the guy with, with uh, ace-king says, okay, well, thanks for telling me. Uh, I, I know one of my aces is out. Uh, does that happen? I'm sure it does. Uh, I think you also have to distinguish between tournaments and cash significantly. I mean, with tournaments, I, yeah, the, the, the opportunity to collude is minuscule, especially in you know, a large tournament. Yeah. Cash is less so. That's um, true. So I think there's a difference between the two there. That's true. But again, it's not something that you should overly concern yourself with, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought too. And, and you know, so yes, people could share whole cards, and but you know, that only gives you a small advantage. Even if someone tells you every hand they fold, if you're on the phone with someone and they say, "Hey, I, I just folded this," and you know those two cards are out of the deck, do you, do you get a small advantage over time? Yes. Is that going to prevent you from winning? No, especially not in a ring game. Like it, you know, it, it it'll as I said, give a small advantage, but uh, nothing significant. And I don't believe most players are doing it. I think it's it happens a little bit. I don't think this has been done by most people. It's not like if you're playing fairly, you're the only fair player of the game. Uh, mm. and, and again, this is just giving a small edge. I'm just telling you the truth here. A lot of people exaggerate how much of an edge that gives you when you find out like your friends folded whole cards. It really, it helps. I wish it didn't happen, but uh, it's not going to make it to where the game is unwinnable for you, especially in a nine-handed ring game. Okay, let me move on here. Computer code is, is the title of this section. I have had access to the computer code, random number generation, player hand histories, complete databases, and operation structures of five major poker sites. I've also been granted permission to investigate the underpinnings, code, and staff for some core entities that combine sites into a giant pool of players. These are known as aggregators. Now, I think what he's trying to say is that uh, he's been able to analyze some of these smaller sites that are networks, like I was just describing before. Not sites like PokerStars and Full Tilt, but but like ones like uh, you know maybe merge or iPoker or whatever, uh, where where they combine a number of sites into one network. That, he's saying they're known as aggregators. That's really not what they're known as in this industry. They're known as networks, and the the sites that uh, make up the network are known as skins. But whatever, that's just terminology. He continues. I did all this without public knowledge, working secretly with these online poker sites and entities. So I'm respectfully asking you to give my observations and opinions more weight than you would if they came from a less involved person with mere suspicions based on personal results. I contributed to the earliest stages of online poker when I joined forces with Planet Poker in 1997. That site, with its founding visionary Randy Bloomer and my friend Roy Cook, was clearly dedicated to the integrity of poker. Our methods of spotting cheating were perhaps ahead of their time, although primitive by today's capabilities. I I wouldn't brag too much about Planet Poker. Uh, A... uh, a student project actually was able to crack their random number generator. And uh, uh, believe it or not, these students were so honest that they told Planet Poker what they did, and they didn't take advantage of it at all. 
which is very uh, unlike most people who uh, do things like that these days. So uh, then Planet Poker kind of shot themselves in the foot after that because, they, of course, they immediately released an update to the software that fixed this, but the update broke the software and it wasn't able to load anymore, and uh, that pretty much killed Planet Poker. But uh, uh, moving on, he wrote, After I moved on from Planet Poker... Early alarm bells began to sound in my brain. A a decade or so ago, I played regularly in a game on a major site and, as a courtesy, reported some serious concerns privately to management. So this is already where I'm starting to uh, become skeptical. It sounds like after he left Planet Poker, which was probably about 10 years ago, he probably moved on to a site like Poker Stars or Party and played there, probably lost, and said, Hey, I'm Mike Caro. I'm the great Mike Caro. How could I be losing? Well, you were losing because you were playing now against a lot of people who were quickly uh, learning a lot, playing a whole lot of hands, a lot of these young internet hotshots, and it also plays a different style than you were probably used to playing live. So uh, you probably lost. You probably weren't ready to play these guys, both from a a style perspective and from maybe skill-wise, they got better than you were. And you were probably not able to accept the fact that you were losing, that you weren't... uh, as successful as you were in the live arena prior to this, and, and you blamed it on cheating. And I'm not saying you, you didn't face any cheating, Mr. Caro. I'm saying that I think you were overemphasizing how much cheating was playing a role in your losing. And when you said that you reported seriously concerns to management, I, I could just imagine Poker Stars is getting uh, emails from you in 2003. Hey, you know, I, I think there's widespread cheating on your site. And Poker Stars is like, what the hell? I I don't see any evidence of this. Leave us alone. So he goes on to write, My wake-up call was a report back to me that they had determined hours later after manually scrutinizing the hands that the play was honest. They cited my poor play as the reason why I was losing many minimum buy-ins per hour over a long time. Specifically, they gave one example. I had flopped three aces and didn't raise. So in their minds, the reason I had been losing this enormous amount was due to the fact that in one instance I tried to trap opponents rather than attack. Further, they said I was playing too tight, meaning too conservatively. Uh, So, you know, this actually sounds similar to older school poker players who were successful in the past playing live, then got into these very aggressive online games, playing against all these loose, aggressive people, and got eaten up both by variance and just by their style not matching up well. A lot of times, tight, aggressive players have a hard time with loose, aggressive players. Especially when the loose, aggressive players run well. And uh, they lose a lot of money they're not used to losing in a short period of time. And sometimes in weird ways that they, that they expect they wouldn't lose. You know, they flop three aces and the person hits a weird backdoor straight against them. You know, like the board comes, uh, you know, ace, six, deuce. And the person has uh, eight, ten. And the board comes seven, nine. And they're like, how the hell did I lose that? And uh, you know, a number of these hands add up, and they think they start to think it's a random number generator problem. They start to think there's some kind of cheating. You know, and, and, and then all the conspiracy theories start, when in reality they're just being outplayed, and, and their, their old style, which worked well, uh, live doesn't work well online. And I think that's what was going on with my Caro 10 years ago, and I think PokerStars is probably right. If that's, it sounds like something PokerStars would say, by the way, with you know, the, the whole investigation and, and the... Uh, um, the, the cited examples and how they did it all within a few hours. That sounds like poker stars to me. And uh, so, so he went on to say, I pointed out that I was not only reporting this to them, not as 
player complained, but also because I cared about the integrity of the game and thought they might want to investigate the peculiar plays I'd pointed out in order to protect other players. I didn't care about refunds or personal justice, and finally I told them that it wasn't mathematically possible to be losing five buy-ins per hour in the long run by playing, quote, too tight. But, you know, he, it actually is. He doesn't understand when, when your opponents are, are very loose-aggressive, uh, and, and especially the game's moving quickly. Yes, you can lose a lot per hour if you're running bad, and, and your opponents are just very loose-aggressive. But to my knowledge, he writes... The problem I'd pointed out wasn't further pursued. Scandals in line with what I'd reported eventually rocked the industry years later. Well, no, scandals which rocked the industry were super user scandals. I I don't believe poker stars had super users. So, I I think that uh, these are two very separate things. So he went on. So I'm already like not giving him much credibility here because it sounds like he was he admits he was playing very tight. He admits he was losing a whole lot. He, he reported it to the site, and they're like, oh, there we go, some, some very tight player bitching that he's taking bad beats. And that, that's pretty much what it sounds like it was. There was nothing I could do about that site's indifference at the time, since it wasn't one that I was consulting with back then, so I dropped it. But I was shocked. I realized that hundreds of millions of dollars were chasing hands under a system in which there was no automated oversight, only a few people using their own judgment about how hands were played. Impossible. Let me tell you this, it is impossible to have humans scrutinize hands and make conclusions about long-term results. I personally would require hours to thoroughly examine a few dozen poker hands and arrive at meaningful conclusions. When you're talking about thousands of hands, you can see the problem. Only automated methods can succeed. And that's why my modern methods incorporate, in conjunction with my colleagues Bill Handy, I'm pursuing a system called Caro's Online Poker Solutions, or COPS, which, as an acronym, probably is too cute by half. In recent years, we have been praised by major sites seemingly as saviors. Uh-oh, here comes the airplane again. Is it bathroom time again? I, no, no, no. Okay. Uh, but ultimately, we were, we've were we been stonewalled by mysteriously fo- mysterious forces deep in these organizations, despite apparent support from owners and top staff. If you like spy novels, you'd love what we encountered, but I'll leave that for another day. This is where he gets really wacky again. So so this this Caro's Online Poker Solutions, COPS, has been supposedly praised by major sites that he won't name, but, but uh, mysterious forces deep in the organizations are stopping him. I mean, this is nuts. This is absolutely crazy. So, it's basically uh, just a huge sales pitch. Yeah, that's what I thought reading it. But it, it's it's a, it's funny because it's a sales pitch, but at the same time, he comes off like a crackpot, like uh, that that uh, that he's found a way to catch all the cheaters, but but uh, mysterious forces are stopping him. That every time he's about to pull the curtain up and show who the cheaters are, that uh, mysterious forces get in his way and and somehow stop him at the last second. Almost like you're you're firing a gun at the bad guy, and somehow a force field makes the bullets fly off somewhere else. I, this, this is outrageous. I'm not going to yeah, read the rest. It's just a mentalist trying to get a story together to help the phone. Yeah, Remember. yeah. I, I'm not going to read the rest of the story. You can go to the article you, yourself. It, it, it's almost done anyway. But, but um, uh, the, I'll so read the last. I'm going to sign off now because yeah. um, it's six o'clock and I need to get. Oh some wow, six o'clock. Well, thank you for joining me, and um, um, I appreciate that. I think you've got a tough crowd today, but. <laughs> I, no, I always, I always have a, t- I always have a tough crowd. So, uh, 
you know, obvious to that. But okay, uh, thanks for joining us, Nutty, and I look forward to having you again. Uh, go go buy a headset, and I'll be happy to have you back on yeah, the show. Yeah, will do. Okay, no, thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Hello. Tally ho, pip pip. Okay, so that's uh, Nutty, who uh, admittedly didn't have the best sound quality, but uh, I thought I had a lot of good insight here. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but uh, I'll read one last thing, the very last paragraph. Bill, which is one of the people he's working with, found a situation in which the long-term player results were 27 standard deviations, a statistical measurement, from the norm. This is trillions to one against territory, as far as the game being honest. There's so much more, and I've sat silent for too long. You can contact me at my website, PokerOne.com. I'll be adding more detail there in the near future, and that's all I have to say. The rest is up to you. I, you know, look, Mike, if you've really found someone who's winning 27 standard deviations uh, above where they should, you should be posting it on 2 plus 2 or something like that. We may have another co-host in a second. That's why I paused. When you'll actually be able to hear better. But I appreciate Nutty coming on. I just uh, want him to get a headset and stop flushing the toilet. But I, I thought he had some very good things to say. Okay, let me, let me put on China Maniac here. But if you really found someone who uh, is winning that much above the norm, similar to like Neo, Neo, and Grey Cat, what they were doing when they were super using, you should report that. You shouldn't have people go to your website, PokerOne.com. I mean, forget your website. Don't promote your tool, your your investigative methods. Out the cheaters! If you think there's a cheater who's cheating by trillions to one against them being a legitimate player, put your evidence out, let us see it, let us make our mathematical determinations, and if you're right, maybe we'll have a new scandal on our hands. Don't send us to your website. What the hell is this? You know, I've always... I, I haven't really been able to bring an opinion together about Mike Caro prior to this. I mean, he hadn't been very relevant recently, so I, I hadn't really thought much about him, but you know, I know a lot of people liked him back in the 90s, and, and he had a lot of funny acts. Like, let me give you a little Mike Caro story. He used to burn $100 bills at the table in order to give the false impression that he didn't care about money, when in reality he was a, a, a pretty tight and tr- controlled player. But he was good at uh, pretending like he was a madman in order to get people to open up. He he would go to the table and make it fun, make it seem like a, a, a wild gambling environment, when in reality he was very controlled and methodical. And I respected that about him, but... Uh, I've also read some things from him in the past that kind of left me scratching my head sometimes, but never as far out there as this. This really sounds like the ravings of a lunatic and a conspiracy theorist, and especially the last part. If you have such hard evidence, release it now. Don't don't uh, be mysterious about it. If people are really in danger of being cheated to this degree, tell us. Don't try to sell us systems or, or uh, get people to appoint you to some uh, poker police. It's ridiculous. Let's see, trying to maniacs here. He said, "Give him three minutes." I think it's been about three minutes. In the meantime, I've been kicked out of my chat room. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Hello, China maniac. Well, he's here, but he's not talking. Cannot hear you, China maniac. I, I see you're connected to me. I see on my Skype a beautiful picture of you uh, 
eating like a salad while playing at the World Series of Poker with a lot of chips. But I can't hear a damn thing you're saying. Cannot hear you. I try to call him back. Seven seven five fraud fifty five. If you'd like to call in, China Maniac. Hello. Hey, I'm here. I'll be there in one second. I just got to set up my um my headset. All right, you sound pretty good already. Maybe I'm just comparing it to how nutty sounded. <laughs> Get China Maniac's opinion about my Carol before we move on to the next subject of our program. Hey, what's up? So how do you feel about Mike Harrow's article? Did you read that thing? I didn't read it. I heard the cliff notes on it, and uh, yeah, he just sounds pretty delusional. It just sounds like uh, he wants to inject himself maybe into the Vegas poker scene that's about to boom. Uh, something along those lines. It just sounds pretty crazy for him to be coming out at this time with all this so-called information that he has. You know what? You're I right. Think- you're right. That's a great point. I didn't even think of the Vegas poker scene, but you're right. The The new... Legalized Nevada online poker scene. Maybe he does want to be the uh, uh, the, the head security guy for one of these right. sites, and and this is his way of doing it. it, it it's so weird. I mean, he, to, for him to claim that he's been behind the scenes fighting for uh, justice in online poker when we haven't heard from him in like ten years is a joke. Right, especially with all the analysis that's gone on from you know all the people on two plus two that you know helped uncover the UB scam. Uh, you know all the all the hand histories that have been available on uh, poker table ratings and all that stuff that people have analyzed. It just seems like odd timing. You know, after um, the I ovation, you know, after that shit the bed, and you know maybe he wants to come in and say you know basically put his name out there and maybe a company will take a shot at him or something. But um, yeah, where's all this information that he's had? Why has he waited 10 years until now? I mean, if he had something concrete, wouldn't you think that, you know, he would have posted something or, you know? Yeah. And he also kind of claims that he was uh, almost like fighting behind the scenes. Like, like he's some sort of online poker Illuminati who's uh, protecting the people. and They don't even realize it. It's just, I, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe any of this. It's, it's and then this whole, the story he tells, presumably about poker stars, and his conversation with them, it it sounds like I totally side with them. It sounds like he's a tight player who doesn't understand why he's losing. I, I've seen this so many times. I've seen so many tight, straightforward players complain right. when they take beat after beat against players who are actually better than them, but are just looser and right. more aggressive. And they go, oh my god, that guy's awful. Can you believe he three-bet me with 6-7 suited? This guy's the worst. How is he winning so much? There's got to be cheating. No, there's not cheating. It's just the this person knows how to play a wider range of hands and play it better. And uh, and uh, it's harder to read. It's, it's unpredictable. And, uh, you know, when, when you're too tight and too easy to read, that's why you're losing. Because you don't do well in those types of games. It's, yeah. I'm surprised Mike Harrow didn't realize that. But sometimes people can be very... Uh, Poor at analyzing their own faults, not just in poker, but in everything in life. Right. I mean, it happens a lot with live players or old school players that transition to online poker. I mean, Mike Mattisau is a good example. I mean, he always complained for years that, you know, these guys just stick it in with any two. But, I mean, it turns out, you know, a lot of the time he's playing against, like, the Durs of the world and guys like that back then. You know, he's just taking on the, you know, the young internet guys and, you know, it, it showed over time that those guys are very good at poker. And, yeah. um, you know, and I think Mike, if Mike Carroll had come out with something like this back in like 2003, 2004, 
you know, I think a lot more people would have believed something like this. But, you know, after everything the poker community has been through, uh, it just sounds like he's grasping at straws here to get his name into the hat somehow and get some kind of security gig going with one of these Vegas poker sites. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, that, that was a good point I didn't even think of. So I'm glad you joined the show. Uh, right. Why don't you uh, talk a little bit about Gank? Gank has done a 180. Uh, last week on the show, I was reading transcripts of Gank talking trash about me, both insulting me personally and also talking about how um, all this stuff against lock poker is a bunch of fluff and I'm overdoing it and, and you know there really isn't much proof against them and you know really just being the uh, lock poker apologist and in fact taking swipes at me because I've been anti-lock poker. Well, uh, something finally snapped in Gank and, and I... I actually think it's legitimate. I mean, I don't think there's any kind of angle with this. Uh, Gank, I don't believe, is a bad person. I, I think Gank uh, is broke and was trying to lie to himself that he wasn't supporting a shady company when he actually was. And and for someone like Gank, who has devoted a lot of time and energy to you know anti-corporate movements like Occupy Las Vegas, it, it's very hard to look in the mirror and say... I, I stand up against corrupt corporations. I, I put my time and energy into it, but yet a, cup cor- a corrupt corporation is supporting me. A corrupt corporation is putting food on my table, and I'm sending lambs to the slaughter working for this corrupt corporation. And I think finally, after a lot of public pressure and a lot of private pressure from people who know him personally, and I don't mean me, I mean people who are closer to him, I think... Uh, I think it finally got to him. I think he finally had a hard time looking at himself in the mirror and and finally did the right thing after I mean this is way too late obviously but uh but at least he did it. And this this is his statement. He just uh made the statement on uh May 24th, 4 days ago. After much thought and due diligence over the past few weeks, I have come to the conclusion that it is time for me to no longer represent Locke. This was not an easy decision, having been with Locke for over three and a half years, but one I feel must be made at this point. Since Locke is currently unable to provide adequate customer service or reliable payouts to the USA, and since current conditions may remain that way indefinitely, I just no longer feel it is responsible for me to represent the site. I have listened to many of my peers and do not make this decision lightly. It is my hope that Locke will continue to make strides to improve customer satisfaction and reduce payout delays. The last thing I would ever want is my fellow poker players harmed by a brand I represented. I want to make clear that my departure is not based on any inside knowledge, and I do not believe there are any internal ill intentions. However, there are many unknowns at this time, and because so much is up in the air, I feel it is now the correct decision for me to leave the company. Lastly, I know many Locke players have recently felt betrayed in one way or another, and for any part I may have had played, I may have played in you feeling that way. I truly am sorry. So that is his statement. And so he's basically saying, uh, I don't know what the hell's going on over there, but I don't like it. Something, something might be wrong, and I, I don't want to direct anyone to lock anymore. And, and if for some reason you do get screwed over, and it was because you trusted me, I'm sorry. That, that's the uh, cliff notes of what he's saying here. Uh, I- I can really applaud him for coming out and saying what he said because, I mean, the other two pros that have stepped down over there and all the other pros over there that aren't saying anything, I mean, at least he came out and, you know, went straight to the head and said, you know, they're not they're not providing adequate quick cash outs and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which they're not. 
Um, yeah, I agree. I, 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 you're right that he's the first one to actually make a statement against them, sort of, as he's leaving. N- not like, hey, they're a bunch of scumbags, but, but a, a polite statement against them, uh, where the other one just said, I've enjoyed my time at Locke, I just feel it's time to move on, uh, when in reality they just wanted to jump off the ship before it sinks. And, uh, and right. while I think that's great for anyone to get away from being a lock pro rather than just stay on there and collect the paycheck and, uh, and, and lead people over there, uh, I, I think Gang's statement was the best of any of them by far because he is linking it to all the problems, as you said, and, and he, uh, he even apologized to people saying, you know, basically if, if anything has uh, happened there that screwed you over and, and somehow it's, it's partially my fault, I'm sorry. And so, so it's like he's finally realizing that representing them all this time was a mistake. And he doesn't go as far as saying that, but uh, I think that's what he realizes now. I, I do applaud him for this. Uh, you know, I didn't appreciate the trash talk before, but uh, um, it wasn't terrible trash talk. I, I just think, I, I think he finally woke up. I, I think he finally just couldn't look himself in the mirror and say, you know, he couldn't look himself in the mirror and say, I, Brett Youngblood, am a, am against corporate corruption. I, I, I don't support corrupt corporations. I, I don't support corp, corporations that rip people off. Right. And, and, yeah, and, I, I think if he truly believed there was nothing wrong, too, he probably would have stayed with them. But, I mean, I think, you know, as any anyone that with an objective – opinion that takes a look at this can see exactly what the it, what it is for what it is and it's just an absolute mess yeah you know it, it is and it's uh you know and, and all this all the excuses they give over there and by the way i know a few people are getting some cash outs but that doesn't mean anything full tilt and i say this every week but i just want to remind everyone full tilt was paying people out until the better end did they have your money no they had about two percent of the player funds they stole the other 98 percent so, right. so just because they're paying out a few people doesn't mean anything. It, it so, and you heard what I just said about AP that uh, the, the way AP was paying people out was just whatever they ca- had coming in currently from deposits. That's what they would pay for withdrawals, but they stole the rest of the deposits the whole way. Right. Uh, so it means you know Scott Thomas have a shitload of money, as must uh, Oscar Hill Tatum and the rest of them. So, uh, so anyway, I I applaud Gank for this. Better late than never. And he's made the best statement so far, and I, I think it's good that he did this before the World Series, so he won't be wearing any uh, lock patches before the World Series. Uh, maybe some of this was because of the World Series that he didn't want people hassling him there. And uh, you know, I, I, when I see people wearing lock at the World Series, I will talk to them about it. I, I will say something to them. And yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of people dropping off lock um, either right before the series, like in the in the next few days, or Throughout the series, as you know, I mean, some people are going to take some, uh, they're going to take some verbal abuse, I think, on this, just because the aftermath of Black Friday and what happened with Full Tilt UB and all of that, and with all the writing on the wall, I just wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, you know, a lot of stuff with the uh, lock poker going down. Yeah. So, uh, and, and let me tell you, the, uh, the the ones who get the most abuse are the no name pros who are wearing. Lock patches and or no name or or uh, you know B and C list pros you know people like Gank uh, the ones who don't take as much abuse are the Mac- Michael's Mizraki types because naturally people want to kiss the ass of, of the A list players of the ones everybody right. knows so that's why people don't talk that much shit to Phil Hellmuth that's why they don't talk shit to Mike Mizraki because I, you know even if you don't appreciate who they represent it's a lot harder to bring yourself to uh, 
go up against a poker celebrity and really give them a hard time, and also knowing the floor is probably going to kiss their ass too, uh, than, than some random. So, like, for example, Joe Seabach, he, he really you know, got uh, the business from people when he was wearing UB in, in the final days. I mean, a lot of people gave him shit where they didn't give Helmuth the type of same shit. So, uh, you know, you lock poker pros who aren't very well known or only moderately known. Uh, I think you're going to take the worst of it if you happen to get with people there at your table who have money stuck on lock or, or know people who do. So, uh, anyway, you know, I, I will applaud Gank for this, and uh, uh, it would have been nice if he apologized for the shit he talked about me since... He knows I don't have an agenda. He was saying I have some kind of agenda, and there's something wrong with why I'm pursuing this so much. No. Yeah, he knows me. He, he's seen me around for all these years. He says, he sees I just go after whatever sites look shady. I mean, right. that's, that's what I do. So there's no agenda here. He knows it. So anyway, I'd love an apology from him. I don't know if I'll ever get one, but at least he left lock. I'll give him that. Right. Yeah, have they been processing cash outs? I, I know... Um, what you know when they made that big statement like within three weeks, I know they processed a bunch of squirrel cash outs like within a week. But have you kept up with any of that since then? You know, it's funny. There's a few people that have received money, but yeah, there's been a lot of claims of like we've processed such and such cash out, but people haven't gotten the money yet. So they they claim it's still within the deadline they claim of which they'll actually receive the money. So we'll have to wait a few like more weeks before we see if it was a complete lie, which it right. might be. Uh, you, you can't put anything past them. So that that's the story with, with Locke at the moment. Not much new news, but uh, definitely nothing's any better over there. Uh, and I hope nobody wears Locke patches, but they will. I'm sure the grinder will. And so, Someone brought up in chat, uh, people probably aren't confronting Ms. Rocky because he's a pretty big dude. That's also true. You know, It's a, it's a lot easier to confront someone that's uh, less physically imposing. I mentioned that before, the difference between uh, Lindgren and Chino. Plus, some people with big mouths will get starstruck. Yeah, like you were saying, and they just, you know, they just don't have the balls to, you know, say something they type on the computer or whatever. But I'll be sure if I see Ms. Rocky or Helmuth or a- any of these guys, uh, I'll be pretty vocal. Yeah, you know what's funny? I, I ran into a situation uh, last year. Was it last year? No, it was two years ago, I think. Yeah, it was two years ago. Where, where uh, Annette 15, who's now representing Locke, was wearing full tilt. After it was clear Full Tilt was broke and screwed everyone. Right. And um, she was at the World Series wearing Full Tilt at my table. I got moved to her table. I was a short stack. She had a big stack. And um, so I knew I wasn't going to be there too long unless I ran hot. And I thought, you know, do, do I talk shit to her? And I was just about to, at the very least, bring up the Full Tilt situation and, and give her a hard time. Say, why are you wearing this? Do you know what they're doing to the players? You know, how people who can't even play here because of what Full Tilt did. And, you know give that whole speech to her in front of the table. But then I watched for a few minutes and boy, did the table love her. Everyone was kissing her ass. She was being really friendly and laughing with everybody. And she had, you know, I was the new guy to the table and they'd all been together the whole time. And I was like, fuck, what do I do here? Like I'm an older guy. She's this young girl. The whole table loves her. She's being really friendly and nice. If I bring up this full tilt shit and attack the young girl there, I, I, I had a feeling the table was just going to absolutely detest me. Right. And, and and I, I was like, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I also, I'm like, you know what? I have such a short stack here. Let, let me, I, I really should concentrate on, on uh, I shouldn't 
if I get myself all worked up doing this, I have a feeling I'm going to not play as well either. So I, I decided not to do it because I knew if I did it, it would create a huge scene because everyone at the table is going to get this, like, they're going to freak out. Not that they defend full tilt, but, like, sort of like, why is this big, bad, older man attacking this young girl over something that she had nothing to do with? Right. So I, I decided not to. And that's why it was actually hard. It was the reverse of uh, of uh, insulting someone like Ms. Rocky that, uh, you know, is, is big and physically imposing. This was someone who is a young girl that, right. uh, that I'll look like the bully. So, like, it, it's strange. I don't know even what I'd do this year if I see her wearing lock at the table in the same situation. Like, it's a, right. it's, a, it's easy to sit in your home on the Internet and say, oh, yeah, I'll say this, I'll say that. But when you get there... And, and when there's a, you know, when, when you're the older guy and there's the young girl there who everybody likes and is kissing her ass, and you've got to be the bad guy to uh, attack her for what she's wearing, even when she had nothing to do with anything happening on the site. I mean, it's a, it's hard. You know, she right. morally deserves it, but it, it's it's hard to do, especially when you're right. trying to play too. You're not just an observer who has nothing at stake. So I, I don't know what I'll do this year, but I I know I'm going to do my best to say something when I see people wearing lock at, at this year's World Series. Right. So okay. Uh, I guess um, I, I, the last two things I want to talk about, and uh, then I have to end the show because uh, the secret location I'm at right now, uh, there's somebody who's at the secret location with me, and that's Benjamin. And uh, I, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, I, I need to uh, I need to leave here. I'm not spending right. the night where I am right now, and uh, I need to leave here. And Benjamin is. Uh, it's getting late. It is getting late. And uh, not, not so much for him, even for him. He goes to bed usually about 10.30. But I, I don't want to get much later than 10.30. But uh, uh, give us a, a quick uh, commentary. Uh, China Maniac, have you ever been to Laughlin before? Uh, never been to Laughlin. I briefly read your post earlier about where it was located and um, a little bit about it. But um, never been there. Yeah, so it's a weird place. I mean, most people don't even know about it if they're from out of state, or if they've heard about it, they don't know much about it. And that is, it's a 90-mile drive south of Las Vegas. And when I say south, I don't mean, like, down the 15. I mean, like, down the, the 95 and some other uh, weird highways that you probably haven't heard of before. And uh, Laughlin is... It's kind of like old-school downtown Las Vegas, but without so much of the old school charm mixed with a river it's it's on a river it's on the colorado river there are river activities you can take sea-doos out there and you can take jet skis out there you can rent them for some reason they don't seem to rent boats out there i i, I actually was thinking like oh maybe i'll rent a little boat and you know go up and down the colorado river no you can't do that for some reason they they only want to rent uh, and you can drive a boat on there you just can't rent it for some reason uh you, you can rent these uh sea dews and uh, jet skis, but I really don't have an interest in being on those. But, uh, anyway, it's on a river. All the casinos are right along the river. Uh, there's very much of a, uh, a blue-collar crowd there. It's a different crowd than Las Vegas. You're, you're not going to go there and see a lot of high-maintenance, hot-looking girls walking around. The few that you'll see there tend to be with guys. Um, a, a lot of people are walking around there that I would describe, but uh, charitably as white trash. Right. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, very different from Vegas. It's also kind of more laid back than Vegas, but, uh, it's also much more tacky than Vegas. Even the hotels that aren't that old, like I stayed in Harrah's 
which was built in 1988. It looks like it was built in 1972. Right. You never guess it's only 25 years old. It looks 40 years old. And um, yeah, a lot of things surprised me there, like the little things like the ice bucket. They don't give you a little plastic lining to put around it. And it's like this right. nasty old-looking ice bucket that you know they don't ever wash. And just uh, places just run down, right? Yeah, and like I'm like, what the hell? They don't even give freaking plastic for the ice bucket, and uh, it's just kind of cheap ass things like that. A weird thing like the the elevators. There was always a line in the lobby to get in the elevator. For some reason, it didn't take long for the elevator to get there from your floor. But once you're in the lobby, you would, you'd be in this long line to get in the elevators. Even though there's like six elevators. It was a, like really odd. The the whole place is really strange, and. Um, I was there because they had a video poker promotion, not for everybody, but for certain invited guests, myself included, that, uh, not just video poker, slots too, but I don't play slots, where if you're a Seven Stars member, you get ten times the reward credits that you would normally earn. So that made it, if I played their best video poker game, which was 8-5 bonus poker, that I'd actually be... Slightly positive expectation And they gave me $200 in free play too Which isn't very much but you know it, it, that helped as well So I, I was positive expectation And I, I didn't go down there to make money uh, I actually went down there to earn Tier points and, you know to Get closer to renewing my 7 star I, I like being a 7 stars member And uh, so I figured I can get 15,000 tier credits and Play at pretty much even expectation And it won't take that long It'll probably take about you know 5 hours of play total was worth it, so I went down there. But uh, you know, I guess if you like riding jet skis around a river, I guess that uh, can be an interesting place to go. From the gambling element, I wouldn't do it. Uh, there's really very little poker to live poker to speak of. I think the only live poker room is at Harrah's, and they have like one or two tables running. Uh, there's the the blackjack. It has worse rules than. The strip in Vegas. If you want to count cards, forget it. They they boot you out really fast. Um, the hotels were not as nice. It, it's just like a, a lower version of Vegas in just about every way. So I wouldn't bother with Laughlin. If you're passing through it, it might be interesting to stop there for a day just to see the contrast between that and Vegas. But there's a reason why it's not uh, giving Vegas a run for its money. The other kind of weird thing there is that just about nobody who works in Laughlin lives in Laughlin or even lives in Nevada. Uh, everybody lives across the river in Bullhead City, Arizona. It's this narrow river, and one side is Arizona and one side is Nevada. There's no gambling in the Arizona part. Now, how, how far is this from Vegas again? 90 miles. Okay. And uh, All right, so that that's a good little hike, anyway. It, it is, there. but it's not like really, really far. It's not like three hundred. So you you know you could make the drive in you know, an hour and a half or something. Right. So um, anyway, it's been a long time since I've been there, and it it definitely hasn't gotten any better. And, and to show you how backward the town is, so I'm leaving there and I need gas, and I pull out and I go, I wonder where the gas station is. Well, Harris owns a gas station. It's a Harris Shell. <laughs> and, and you know, Harris, Caesars has been in bed with Shell for a while. They're always giving out like Shell gas cards and stuff. So it's a Harris owned Shell. I knew the prices were inflated. I knew it, even though I, I hadn't been uh, monitoring the gas prices recently in that area. Like I, I just knew it had to be inflated. So I said, "Screw this! I'm just driving down the road. I'll see what I get." So I kept driving, and sure enough, I found a gas station with 14 cents a gallon cheaper. So I, I felt 
like I, I said, like, oh, like, well, I judged that one right. And, you know, the Jewish side of me was very happy until I get out of my car. And I'm like, I'm ready to swipe my credit card in the, in the gas pump. And there's nowhere to do it. And I realize this is like we're back in 1975. I've actually got to bring my credit card in there. Crazy. To pump I gas. Seen one of those in a long time. Yeah, I, I don't remember the last time I saw that. I mean, I actually had to bring my credit card in. <laughs> they hold my credit card. Hopefully they're not copying down my number. They probably are. And uh, uh, pump my gas and then come back in there and then they uh, they run the credit card for me. I was surprised they didn't bring out the little uh, carbon copy thing that they uh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, make an imprint of the card like they did back in the 70s. Like I, yeah. I was surprised they that's could what actually... I was, That's what I was going to say. The little thing you put the card on and they, <laughs> they swipe the uh, thing over the paper. Yeah. I re- you know what? I remember as a kid, like in the late 70s, seeing that. Like my mom would take me to the grocery store with her. And they would they would run that that uh, thing over the the carbon paper, right? And and I couldn't understand it. I'm like, wait a minute, how are they charging my mom's credit card? That the machine it's not even transmitting anything. It's just it's just making a carbon copy. You know, how are they charging her credit card? We're just making a, a copy of her card on a piece of paper. Like I didn't get it. Even as a kid, I didn't get it. And what they were actually doing is sending the slip in manually. But uh, it, this was. Uh, it was very surprising to see that. But by that point, I was pot committed because I'd driven a good deal away from Harris. And this was like the only gas station in the area from where I was. So I was stuck leaving them with my credit card. But uh, that that was pretty indicative of what that town is like. So anyway, that was my, my uh, Laughlin adventure. And uh, I did hit a four aces for $2,000, which is the second best payout there. I, However, I had like eight different four to a Royals and didn't hit once. Wow. And twenty thousand dollars. You gotta bring Chino Ream with you next time. I know. You know, I've never had a royal in my life in video poker. Wow. I now I haven't played all that much, but still, I mean it's just uh, give me one royal, especially a twenty thousand dollar royal. It'd be so sweet. Like I just you know, twenty thousand dollars wouldn't change my life, but I just it would just be so sweet to, to have a twenty thousand dollar payout from video poker. I'm, right. That'd be that'd be a nice one. Yeah, I just like I, I, I'm dealt four to a royal, and I know I only have like a one out, a literal one outer. I know the chance is very much against me, but I, I just like have this fantasy. I'm going to hit the button, and the one outer hits, and I got twenty thousand bucks. And I actually did hit a one outer. I had a, I got dealt a six, seven, eight, ten of hearts. Held the last, you know, held those four, threw the last card back, and got the nine of hearts. So how come I can do that with a damn straight flush for twelve hundred fifty bucks? I can't do it with all those royal flushes. Right. That was my only straight flush draw. And I made it, and then all my rail flush draws, I blew it. So whatever. Uh, I, that, that, I've actually this is so weird. I haven't hit a royal flush. I don't think in like two and a half years. And I hit like I think three royal flushes in three months about two and a half years ago. And then all of a sudden this week, I've I've hit like two royals and like four straight flushes uh, playing online poker. Just crazy how it can come like that. You know? Oh yeah, I, I I hardly ever hit them in poker anymore. I don't play much poker anymore. But I, I, like last several years, I'm just hitting fewer and fewer royals, and I've only flopped one royal in my life. How many have you flopped in your life? Um, flopping, I'm not sure, but I've gotten at least I've probably gotten five to ten royals in my life. I know that. Oh no, I, yeah, I've got no, I've gotten a number of them in my life, but uh, but flopping, I've only had one, and it was ten years ago. Wow, that's uh. Yeah, I, I can't. I don't even know if I've flopped one before. I think I did flop one, and I got a lot of action. Um, but yeah, maybe I should have. Uh, should I send all the data for my straight flushes to Mike Carroll? Yeah. So <laughs> maybe he can figure out that uh, there's widespread cheating in video poker. 
So, you know, I, I ended up you know, barely winning. I, I got to a terrible start. I lost over $2,000, but uh, I ended up barely winning and got my tier points and got my reward credits. So it wasn't yeah, bad. Yeah. It just was a... Yeah, it's not the most fun way to play. And I'll tell you, after I was done with the video poker, I was bored out of my ass because nobody was with me there. You know, I didn't have my girlfriend, didn't have Benjamin, didn't have anyone. So I was just there by myself in Laughlin, and I felt like I was going right. crazy. And I couldn't even oh, go I play got blackjack. A, I, I got a question for you. Um, how is Reno? I've never really heard anyone talk about Reno much, and I know that's like oh, it sucks. You know, the next big place next to Vegas, but is it a total shithole? It's a total shithole. It sucks. It's uh, a... Okay. It's not that different from Laughlin, except there's not even a river there. Like I guess the only good thing about <laughs> Reno is that you can you can drive to Tahoe. It's like an hour away if you if you want to spend time in Tahoe, which is a decent place. But uh, yeah. Reno is a shithole, and uh, um, I, I guess the only other good thing about Reno, if you want to consider this a good thing, is the uh, the girls in Reno are really easy. That whole area, that whole seven seven five area of Nevada, um, the the girls there. I, I've never met easier girls in, in that area. And uh, uh, both easy and their standards are not high for how they look. Like like uh, girls that would never give you the time of day in Las Vegas or especially L.A. in, in Reno will. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the only yeah, good thing about Reno. Probably because they're more locals and uh, you know less tourists there. You know, not, not yeah. only that, but like uh, like in that in, in, outside of Las Vegas in these seven seven five areas of of, uh, of Nevada, including Reno. Like if you're from out of the area, you're like a god. Like I, okay. I, I think they, they aspire to. You know, get out of there, even if it's just to move to Las Vegas. It's like a big step up. Like Reno moving to like Las Vegas is like the step up in the world. Now, some of them over there in Reno are actually like arrogant about that. And actually, they look down on Vegas. But uh, but most of them realize deep down that Vegas is actually above Reno. That Reno is the uh, uh, the second class citizen to Vegas. And uh, so, anyway, that that's that's what I've observed the, the, about Reno. But but really, it's, it's a shithole there. And uh, Again, there's really nothing better about it over there. The the blackjack games are worse. The heat is worse. The 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 blackjack odds are worse. The the poker isn't good. Uh, you know, the, the video poker odds aren't good. Like like all the things you could think about that you'd want to gamble in uh, in Vegas. It's better in Vegas than it is in Reno, and the atmosphere is better in Vegas. And, and Vegas has a lot more class. I mean, there's plenty of parts of Vegas that don't have any class, but uh, right. but uh, plenty of parts you that can... do. You can pick and choose some spots there. Yes, yes. Vegas has something for everyone. It's for you know, the, the Reno and Laughlin is pretty much all the same, and, and they're they're actually pretty small. Laughlin's tiny, as I said. There's like very few of the employees even live in Laughlin. Laughlin is mostly just that one strip of, of casinos. Right. Uh, the uh, Bullhead City has has a decent population, but uh, and, and Reno it's it's not a small city. It's it's a it's the second biggest city in Vegas in Nevada behind Vegas, but. Uh, but the casino area of it is, is pretty small. So, anyway, uh, if you want to go to a gambling city in Nevada, just stick to Vegas. You're really not missing anything. Oh, and Reno, also, the weather sucks in the winter. It is cold there. It, it can be sometimes like single-digit temperatures there in the winter. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I would... Uh, uh, not always, but I, I've seen cold spells where, you know, like, in the evening it's five degrees. So... Right. Uh, anyway... Uh, a few uh, quick announcements. Uh, supposedly, version 2.0 of Ultimate Poker is uh, going to come out soon, according to Antonio Esfandiari, who's their lead pro. And uh, their 30-day trial comes to an end on the 30th. I guess they had a 30-day trial with the uh, regulators, so 
We'll see what happens there. And uh, let's see. Uh, this is a... Uh, I, I hate to read anything from the PPA, but uh, someone sent this to me, so I'll read it as a service to our listeners. This is from John Pappas. Uh, hey, folks. Quick update from Washington, D.C. The Internet Casino and Poker Bill will not be ready for introduction before Congress adjourns before Memorial Day recess, uh, a.k.a. Uh, um, May 23rd. There are some drafting issues that won't be resolved this week. This means they are trying to get the bill right, not fast, which is a good thing. There is a real effort to get stakeholders support for this product, and it just won't happen before tomorrow. Of course, there's no guarantees that all stakeholders will be satisfied with the end product. Look for the introduction in early June now. Also met with Mr. Mr. Barton's staff this week, and they hope to have their bill later this this summer. He actually spelled there wrong. That's why I paused for a second. He spelled it T-H-E-R-E. And what is the a bill for what? What is this for federal legalization? Like what, yeah, what are we yeah, talking about? Yeah, something about federal legalization. I haven't been following it, to be honest. But but uh, this is more of the same crap. I always see the same thing. Like you know, uh, a bill is coming out soon. It's going to legalize online poker. Uh, th- this is what we've been waiting for, and, and then nothing occurs. It dies somewhere. It doesn't get the support they're expecting. We get the same song over and over and over again, like a freaking broken record, and nothing changes. I'm telling you, the way we're going to get the legalization is if this Nevada experiment succeeds, then other states will join in, and then we'll start having some uh, interstate compacts, and then the federal government will finally say, okay, well, since it's working out interstate already, maybe we'll make it legally federal, may- may- make it legal federally, and that's how it'll happen. It won't be the PPA that makes it happen. It won't be these stupid bills. Anything can occur, but that's that's the way I predicted, and that's, I'd be surprised if it goes any other, any other way. I, I agree with you there. Um, I just uh, I don't even know what would happen. Let's say this bill does pass, like, then what happens to the Vegas poker? Do they control everything? Is it going to be like state by state? How is this going to work? You know I don't know. I, mean? I haven't followed this particular bill. I, I started tuning this out because I, I, it's just the same story over and over again. I, I Not only did I get tired of getting my hopes up, I got tired of investing the time and energy following this and reading these complicated bills just to see them uh, go in the toilet. It's, it's almost like, like watching a show a new show on TV that is super low rated and you know it's going to get canceled after five episodes. And you're like, why would I bother? Why get invested in the story if you know uh, you're never going to see the end of it? So yeah, that's, I, I totally that, that's pretty totally, much how, how. To, totally feel you there. There's nothing like following uh, you know along with one of these big stories, reading pages of, after pages of analyzation on like two plus two or whatever, and then you know it just goes in the shitter. Yeah, so. I just I just tune it out now to be honest. Like when I see something really 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 promising looking that looks different than the others, I, I follow it. And may, you know maybe one day I'll be sorry because. Uh, you know, one of these will get through, and I'll I'll be the last one with a story. But whatever, you know, I, I'm not here to break every single story first. Anyway, I just uh... anyway. This phone number seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. I promised one thing that uh, you know, even though I, I kind of wanted to end the show right now, I I will finish with one thing that some of you may have been waiting for. That is uh, a few driving tips from L.A. to Vegas. Now, I know uh, China Maniac, being from the Boston area, probably has a lot to add on this one. But, uh, yeah, let me tell you something here. The good thing about driving to Vegas from L.A. or vice versa to L.A. from Vegas is that there are a lot of options if things go wrong. Now, when I say things go wrong, I don't mean your car breaking down or you're going to get an accident or being pulled over for drunk driving. I mean traffic-wise. I mean you've probably been on a drive at some point to or from Vegas, and the traffic is horrendous, and you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs, and you're like, oh my god, I've got 230 miles to go, and I'm at a standstill. What the fuck do I do? 
And, and it's demoralizing. It's bad enough to be in traffic in your own city where you have to drive like 20 miles. When you have 230 miles ahead of you and you're sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic, it may not end for a few hours. And you know when you're out of this stressful situation, you've still got to go another 230 and maybe hit even more traffic. It's just a killer. So let me give you some advice. Uh, first of all, unlike back in the 80s and 90s and even parts of the 2000s, we now have things called smartphones. And you can see the traffic on your smartphone. I know I'm not giving you any new information here. But uh, this is important for the rest of what I'm going to tell you. Look at the route you're going to drive. Ah, crap. I have a call. I shouldn't say crap. I'm happy to get calls. But it's the first call, so I'll take it. I'll interrupt myself here. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, is this Dan? Who is it? Hello. Yes. Is this Dan? Is this Hello? who? He's asking if you're Dan. Is he asking my Dan? Well, this is Todd... A.K.A. Dan Druff, that's who you're asking. The colors. Yeah, that's right. Who are you? Yeah, this is uh, Jordan. I just had some commentary on uh, what you were talking about earlier. I'm sorry, who are you? Uh, did I get my first name? <laughs> Last name? Uh, no, no, I did not. What, what, is, what is your screen name? Donkey Killer. Do- okay, I didn't hear that. Killer. Okay, Donkey Killer. Okay, go ahead. Give me commentary. Okay, commentary is on uh, what you're talking about with the, the scammers. Uh, what were their names? Chino Reem? Yeah, Chino Reem and uh, Eric Lindgren. Yes. I think I think there's no way any of the people that staked them before or that are old are going to get paid back unless they do play poker like this. When you, what do you mean play poker like this? You mean if? Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, they need to play poker to make money, and that's the only. Oh, they're, so you're, so you're saying make money if they don't play poker? I know. I know. So you're you're saying you support uh, Chino Reem and Eric Lindgren being staked by people because that's the only way they'll pay back the people they owe. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying. I I I mean, it looks like that's about the only way that they that they could uh, pay back you know whoever they owe. But then again, the only way I think they get ostracized is if. They screw their backers, or if they run up a ton of makeup on their backers, then they'll have nowhere to go because I don't think anybody's going to be willingly floating these guys' money anymore. Yeah, that's true. And I, but I'm just saying that uh, you know, it's, by the way, this guy hung up. I don't, that's kind of a weird call. All right, uh, bad guy. Hello. Why? Well, come on, man! I was going to play a prank. I got to get a different phone then. You're going to give me a chance. You tell everybody I'm a bad guy, man. Well, I, I see the 412. You know, I, I only have uh, one caller from the residential area of Pittsburgh. Uh, so what's going on, fellas? You're ready to ride home or what? Is that what you're saying? Man, you got to get the hell out of here? I was trying to give people some tips of driving from L.A. as a number of L.A. listeners. And, uh, you know, I, I was saying you have to take a look at your phone and, and see the problem areas, and then there's always, almost always a way around it. You just have to look. And uh, where, where do you see on your phone the, the actual upcoming traffic that's in front of you? Well, you, you can you can zoom out on the map and, and see. You've you got to know your route, and then look on your phone. And you see the red areas, which, which show you the traffic, and you say, okay, well, uh, I see you know approximately 50 miles up the road. It's, it's, yeah, let me, give you, let me give you guys. I have it on my phone, but let me give you guys a tip, my tip. 
the bad guy tip of the night. Yeah, go ahead. Just take a fucking Greyhound, man. You can drink in the bus. You don't have to worry about fucking traffic. They do all the driving for you. That's what I do. I'm not Ken I'm not Ken Scaler. I'm not taking a freaking Greyhound. You gotta be kidding me. And when you say look at the map, do you mean Google Maps? You can actually see the traffic on yeah, there? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, the I've Apple Maps are terrible. You know, you know this new this new technology, you know, anywhere you're at, they know where you're at with these cell phones. You know that, right? Well, yeah, they, they can, yes. In fact, well, you see... No, they do, man. Just the other night, they caught this lady. She went and kidnapped her kid. Well, no, of course they can. It was her look, kid, look, 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 look. But, Yeah, bad, they found her guy. by the cell phone, man. Bad guy. I, 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 post, I posted a message, a, a thread on my forum that you get to test the location technology that uh, Ultimate Poker uses. And if you followed my link there, you could actually... Yeah, I did it. It, yeah. it got me with it. It got me with it. It wasn't right where I was at, but it was not even a mile and a half away. Yeah, right. From where See, I was so at. they can, they can locate you. And the funny thing is, I jailbroke my iPhone, so I can actually fake my GPS. So that, so there's no way they could actually see exactly where I am. If I wanted to, I could just put my GPS anywhere. But there's no way to beat the way they do it with a cell tower. Like they can't get my exact location. But there, there's no like no matter what idea, there's no way I could fake out ultimate poker and make it seem like I was in Nevada if I wasn't because they do it through the cell right, towers. Cell tower. Yeah, there's, and there's no way to fake that. Where are you at? You're, you're are you in Las Vegas, Las Vegas, or are you in that ghost town in Las Vegas, Lachlan, whatever you call it? No, that's not. That's ninety miles away. I'm, I'm right, right now. I'm in neither. I'm in a different secret location. But I'll, I'll be back in Las Vegas. Oh, they're gonna have some girls come visit you. I, I, I don't really want that. Some of the bad guy girls. That's okay. Oh, you would have loved it. Wait, they want to meet Dandruff, man, the World Series champ. Oh. I think I think if girls came to visit shit. me, if I, no, I think if you sent girls to meet me, it'd probably be prostitutes or something from TK the Pimp. No, man, no, the people, my God, the, the girls I know, I said it, man, I said, I'll be on radar now. I just, I don't know if he's going to be in Vegas or what, but I'm not put that on the chat. You don't read, you don't read none of my messages, Druff. What's going on with the Dodgers, Druff? Oh, the Dodgers, uh... They, they won tonight tonight. He now is going to save his job, he's going to... Sweep the surging under five hundred angels. <laughs> yeah, the angels they, they, have all, yeah, they have all kinds of problems too. But but the uh, you know the Dodgers the problem is they're uh, uh, the players that they gave a lot of money to uh, that they counted on in previous years suck. Matt Kemp sucks. The Dodgers are fine, man. They're already like five games out. No, but, but listen, Andre Ethier's been lousy. Matt Kemp has been terrible. And you, you can't have those guys struggling if you're going to win. And and the pitching outside of Kershaw hasn't been all that good. Kershaw has no, been no, excellent. No, no, he but, plays fucking horrible. But, 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 I know, yeah. but listen, if the two and all come together, I think they're right where they – I mean, it could be a lot worse. It, it could be. Well, I mean, no, think about it. Where are they, five or six games out the most now, right? Well, that's because the other teams aren't uh, doing that hot either. But but you know, the, the problem is that uh, um, there's just too many holes in the team right now. And, uh, you know, they're not going to be awful. But well, you have no confidence. What about my – you want to be a Pirate fan? Let me send you a Pirate jersey. I'll send you a Buckos jersey. We just won again tonight against Detroit. Another big payroll team. You know, you know what? I, I know Get on the bandwagon and raise the Jolly Roger, brother. I, I know I know you're a big Pirates fan, and I'll tell you, I actually have rooted for the Pirates to finally finish over five hundred one of these years. I kinda of felt bad for them and their fans. Uh I just it's the, problem, happen this year. The, the problem is I just kept seeing the same thing every year where they would get off to a good start and then blow it at the end. And, I know, but that's the last two years, Rob. They aren't even getting off a good start. They weren't uh, even sniffing 500 for this like even, This even happened back, like back in like 97. They were in first place for a while and finished under Yeah, 500. that one time when they had like uh, that one guy that pitched another little Mexican and uh, the ring con who went to the Indians. I mean, yeah, we were around there that time, too. I mean, this keeps happening. This I, I've here, seen them we, get off to so many great starts and, and, and not finish yeah, 500. I'll give you a stat though here, buddy. We yeah. have not 
last year when we were good, we were like 18 games over 500 at one point. We didn't hit 30 wins in the season until June 27th. We got 31 right now. Yeah, I know it's off to a very good start. It's off to a very good start. Yeah, but the thing is, we're in a shitty. We're in a division when we got St. Louis and Cincinnati. I know it's tough. I know. I know. It's stacked. What's what's wrong with Thomas? I called to find out where the hell seriously. Serious at or whatever the fuck he called himself. Why is he hiding? I don't he's not, he's not hiding. Seriously, serious is busy with a real job. Is what happened. The World Series just no started. man. That guy's getting his, his fingers broken out of uh, Las okay, Vegas. Okay. Listen, seriously, serious. <laughs> Seriously, serious. Uh, he's actually in Las Vegas, you know, doing his new job with Bluff, and you know, you, you have to give him credit here. Uh, he went from just a uh, like a guy making funny videos for the forum, but uh, you know, but still not really having any kind of gainful employment. To, to you know, then he worked for the Snake of the Grass, and that yeah, obviously wasn't a good decision. But but now he has a real job with a real company, and, and he's putting his talents actually to use and making real money with it. And now he's in Las Vegas on their dime. Uh, Working during the World Series during the entire series, and of course he's busy. But that's so. Fine. What's his stick going to be there? Are you guys going to interview players, or what, is I, I don't know. Songs, like, I, I, I don't know, but at least he has a real. You have a press pass, Ruff? You know, it's funny. Uh, okay, I'm you gonna, have a press. Do you I, have a press? I, I, I hadn't discussed this yet, but I'll, I'll I'll reveal the truth to the world now. Um, yeah, that's a hard question, Ruff. Listen, I what I happened? The people what they want. What, ha- what happened with the the press pass was. I forgot about it, and then I went to the site to apply for one. It was like a few days too late. I'm like, oh, fuck, I missed the press pass, and I'm like, I felt so stupid. Not that I do much with it, but I always want to have it just for the uh, – I, I just want to have it. I just feel like I, I should have one being a uh, – Now you get free slippers and shit? Not, not to get free slippers, just, just to be part of the poker media. I just feel like I'm not part of the poker media if I don't have a press pass. It's just like a status thing. So anyway, and also I think I feel I want to have it just in case I need to use it. So, So the problem was – I knew to get this press pass now, since I'm past the deadline, uh, I was going to have to pull some strings. And there's only one person who could make that happen for me. And that is... <laughs> yeah, Seth Polanski is the only one who could make that happen for me. I'm like, oh shit, now i got to ask Seth Polanski to do me a favor. And this is after not only have I make, been making fun of him with <laughs> for the past year, but uh, I also... Uh, he also mentioned my name and not in a very complimentary fashion on the World Series of Poker media information call in May. Or I guess in a few, few weeks ago, still May, but you know, a few weeks ago, uh, when I erroneously said that WSOP.com was going to offer real money games uh, within the next week. And uh, he actually pointed out to the media that uh, despite what Todd would tell us tweets, it's not going to happen this week. Something like that. So I, I had a feeling that Seth Polanski didn't think much of me anymore. And that uh, he'd be the last one who's going to do a favor for me. Uh, so I, I, I took a flop anyway. And I emailed him and asked, can you get me this press pass? And he told me, yes, you can. And actually, even though we have the printed deadline of whatever, we're actually allowing it you know, this week too. So just apply right now and you'll get it. So I did. And uh, they actually haven't responded you to me. Thank you. Well, well no, they, they haven't. They haven't actually given it to me yet. So when I go down there, I'm going to go down there in a few days. It's possible I'll get there and they just won't have it for me because they haven't responded to me. But I'm, I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to show up, and if it's not there at that point, I'll call up Seth and say. And and, and if and then uh, what he'll probably say back if I complain about not having it yet is. What, me? No, no. There we go. 
didn't come up as fast as I wanted to. But yeah, so so uh, that's uh, so. But you know, I, I appreciate them doing this. I appreciate uh, you know, if he he wanted to be a dick to me, he could have said no, it's too late, and I would have had nothing to say. But uh, you know, he told me the truth that they they're making an exception for anyone applying late, and they're just not announcing it. So I, I should have it. Yeah, but... I have another question, brother. When I'm on here, yeah, and I'm not all fucked up. Uh, are you going to have a PFA meetup or what? You know, I'm not sure. I, I'd like to. Uh, I got to think about a good date for that. I got to kind of figure out when people will be there. Yeah, can you get? Can you like get a date out there? Like when would that? When well, will you? Will, know? You, will you actually like, come if I if I put it out there? Yes, I'm coming. I'm coming. You I'm, always I'm, say I'm this though. You don't show up. No, I never said before I was going to. Listen, I'm coming this time. I'm telling you. Okay, I hope you do. 100. You're going to meet me for. Uh, you're going to meet me. I'm telling you. 100%. I hope I do. Okay. I mean, it's not like what? Like, what you're going to meet me? I mean, like my contact. <laughs> I'm a normal bad guy. guy. Bad guy, do you do you? Bad guy, do you have a trip planned, or are you just going to go out there like whenever? Well, it depends because now the girl that's out there now, she's like my girlfriend, but not. I, I really don't want to go with her, but she's called again today and she says, you know, I'm out here with them. They're so lame, and you know, they only went from like uh, Thursday and they're coming back tomorrow. And she went, and I told her I was going in June. She says, I really want to come back out here with you in June. Cause she does some kind of shit where she can work from home. I mean, she makes good money, but she, like, work. she doesn't go, she doesn't have to go to work. You understand? Like she, she works from her house. So she could go to Vegas and do this, you know, her work if she had to. Is it, I mean, I don't want to really go with her, but if she was like, does she do $50 back? Yeah. You're, you're seeing a girl who lives in Las Vegas. How'd that happen? <laughs> I don't know. She's from here. She's in Vegas right now. I was going to come. I told you I was going to come. On Sunday, I told you guys. What, was this one of the, was this one of the girls go. you were going to send to come see me? I can't go twice and leave my kids two times. I was Wait, just hold on, go hold on. Four days what, just... Was this one of the girls you were going to send to come see me? Yeah, that's what I told you. Wait, you were going to send your girlfriend to me? <laughs> yeah, well, she has three friends with her. I didn't let them be on the radio. I told you that earlier in the show. I said, tell me where you're at. I'll have them come knock on your room. Well, I, I, mean, I would like to speak to her. Right I, mean, I, I would like, actually, to speak to her. I mean, that's... Uh... That'd be interesting. She took the pacers tonight, baby. I gave her the, then the one, I said, yeah, put another $200 for me. Cause she has $200 of mine from a Western Union she got from me before she left. And they wouldn't cash it at the fucking drugstore or whatever, the right aid. And then she didn't put it in cause she couldn't find an ATM. She was in a fucking golden ass. So what the fuck are you doing at the golden nugget? Like they were down there. I mean, that's not what they're saying. Like if somebody wanted to jump off something on the stratosphere or some shit, is there some kind of thing, but it was too windy. There's something you can jump off of. Is that a, is that a real thing? Yeah, there is. Yeah. So you're gonna get robbed down there. And then there's some local girl that's the one girl knows. That they're they're all pretty girls. Though, I'll tell you that right now. All, all there's four of them. Hmm. I mean, the one I call Shaq because she's a little bit tall. I always try to pick her up on my basketball team if I have her like. How, how tall is she? Trying to pick up. I don't know. I say she's like five ten. Yeah, well, that's pretty tall for a chick. That is. So I mean, but she's not ugly. That girl either. I mean, but the other ones are decent looking. I don't know what the one looks like from there. I never met her. But there's somebody that they know. That the one girl works with knows. That was that. That's what I was trying to tell you before. Okay. But well, I, they wanted me to come down with them. But then I said, man, I'm going to go again in June. I'm not going to leave this time and go again. It's just pointless. So okay. Well, let, I'm, let me know I'm, when I'm you're going to be there. And I'm looking for and I'm looking for seriously. Serious. Okay. I'm not telling to make a rap about my, my girlfriend that I murdered. See how funny it is when I crush his fingers, boy. 
Oh, boy. Now, I'm not, you, know, you know I'm not like that, man, but I'm just going to fucking challenge it. It's not cool. I mean, he's not part of the clique. Well, he's, he's, Seriously, Sears is new on the scene, bro. He's new, but I think he's he's fit in pretty well. All right, look, uh, you know, I appreciate no, He does you. well because he gets you hits, man. Bad guy, you know. The bad guy gets you hits, too, and you treat me like a redheaded stepchild, man. No, no, I'm, I don't. I'm getting sick of it. No, I got no. donked down stickers already, man. Listen, already in the Listen I, I don't treat you like a redheaded <laughs> stepchild. I give you uh, a lot of liberties on this on this site here and this radio show. No, I'm kidding around, but anyway, yeah, man. If you guys have a meetup, man, like if you can come up with it in the next week or two, I mean, it, week week would be better for me. But I can just come out there. I can stay for a minute if I want to. All right, really well, well, make sure to let but me know if you come out there. Make sure to let me know if you come out there. I would like to meet you. So, all right, people, I, I hate I'm to... coming, man. I promise. I'll see him and tell you everything and when I'm coming, and then you know, if you if you guys figure out something or whatever, I can meet all you guys, man. I really would. You know, I'm gonna. So until to... then, until then, the bad guy. I'm on steroids, dude. I just start taking steroids and getting pumped for Vegas. You know, we should come up with a <laughs> PFA. Uh, Roid testing program disqualifying. No, we should come up. No, I said that they should they should test for the WSOP. They should drug test people. I think you should you should feel cheated. Drug. You don't do any kind of drug. Yeah, it's true. You, you know, if, if they drug stuff, I think if they drug tested everybody, advantage. I think if they drug tested everyone in the field, I'd be the automatic winner. Well, you don't feel cheated. Yeah. What can I do? These people are getting. Well, we're we'll getting the party late into the night. Yeah, but the good thing is I, I, mean, I won't have. She's not cutting it, bro. I, I won't have a situation like uh, Vinny Vin, where I, I am the chip leader and don't show up for day two. Well, yeah, well he he well that's because he just parted a little too hard. Some of these guys know they're just you know. Okay, well, thank you for listening to. Thank you for listening All to. Right, well, thank thank you, thank you for letting me call, man, and taking my. I called you last week too, but no one answered. Okay, but well, it happens. Sometimes thank you when you're, you're in we'll, the middle of a segment, we'll, obviously. We'll, we'll see you soon, uh, bad guy. And thank you for calling. Yeah, you will definitely take care, man. Take care, China. Take care, bad guy. Go. So that is uh, the end of the show. I hate to end it so abruptly, but you know, I got to get my kid. It's getting near eleven. We will be back probably next week. The next scheduled date is June 4th, but that is also the second day of the Limit Hold'em event. I'll have to let you know what happens with that. It's possible we'll miss a week next week. I'll try to make up, but uh, I am busy later in the week, so we'll have to see what occurs. Next week may not be a good week. I will keep you guys informed via Twitter and a little blue thing near the top of the website uh, with what happens with that. I I really do want to make the show. I don't want to miss any weeks. Thank you, Chinese Maniac, for coming at the end. Thank you, Nutty007, for guest hosting most of the show thank you to all the listeners live archive stitcher and itunes we are everywhere we will be here just about every week during the world series afterwards before whenever good night and shalom good night